Hello, everybody. It is Chris, aka Star Raptor, joined by Ben this week for Outer Rim Transmissions. This is number 80. Big week this week. We have some big Star Wars movie rumors to talk about, as well as Andor Episode 8 titled Narkinda 5. That's not all, because we have a brand new Star Wars animated short series called Tales of the Jedi. We're talking about just the three Ahsoka Tano episodes tonight, but that is enough to squeeze into one episode for sure. How's it going, Ben? Um, good, good. This is this week of Star Wars, like, or this week in general has been a good week for me. I mean, it's been busy, but like for me, it's been a really good week because um, you might have saw my tweet actually earlier this week. But uh, you know, I pretty much said like this is the most hype I felt around Star Wars in a long time. Actually, after seeing Tales of the Jedi, it just kind of like you know, there's so much positive buzz around it and everything, and it's like, man, it feels like, you know, Star Wars is at a really good place. Like, Tales of the Jedi, I think, really helped. Um, it helped, like, you know, some people, for example, you know, they find Andor slow, etc., blah, blah, blah. You know, we've talked about it before and whatnot on social media as well, but the thing is, like, I feel like Tales of the Jedi, like, definitely brought back a really nice, like, positive energy boost to the fandom that's for sure um and i mean like just jokingly but i think i think it kind of helped me like the andor episode a little more actually um just because like i wasn't in such like a, a critic state you know watching watching andor um versus just like all right let's just let's just enjoy this and like or let's find something enjoyable out of this um so yeah i think i think tales of the jedi really uh was a good kind of like shot in the arm to a lot of Star Wars fans this week in discussion around Star Wars as a whole. Yeah, it was definitely uh, good for the most part. Um, as we all know on the channel, I'm a big lore canon guy. So I wish it was all positive, but at least the people I follow on Twitter, there's a lot of discourse. And we'll get into yep. it as we talk about the episodes proper about how some people are saying it's retconning the book and there's a lot of discourse around that. So I'm going to get in there, try to give my own two cents and see how I feel about all that matter. Um, but yeah, otherwise it's uh, yeah, I agree. I was very much uh, on a star Wars high after tales of the Jedi. And uh, it's just like, I was telling you Ben, it was like, why do we have to have all this stuff on one day? Like yeah, you, you had a whole month of December guys. You had to put it out, like, the same day of an Andor episode. Like, come on. Come on. Yeah, It was right there. You had December. You could have released, like, three of the shorts for Ahsoka at the beginning of December. Three of the shorts for oh. Dooku at the end of December. And then, boom, go right into Bad Batch. And there you go. That's your consistent Star Wars content every month of the year. But, no, they wanted to be Lucasfilm about it. And, and as much as I liked it, and I'm not, you know, this is a great place for it because there's times where we had no Star Wars for like 10 years. Um, but now it's like, ooh, is this too much? Is this overload? What's going on here? Especially coming from a content creator standpoint. I know I'm yelling at the clouds right now as a content creator. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got to watch Andor and then hurry up and get my Andor video up because I like to do those when I have it fresh on my brain. Yep. And in the meanwhile, if you tell me how, you know, this is the best thing since sliced bread with Tales of the Jedi. So I'm like, ah, I got to get this thing up quick so I can watch those Tales of the Jedi before I go to work because I know 
damn well, if I go to work, I'm, I'm going to get spoiled um, on the Tales of the Jedi, at least looking at the internet at some point. So I'd rather just not have to deal with that. So I want to just watch everything before I go to work. And then at least I can see what other people are saying because I'm just curious. But anyway, yeah, so it was very much like, ooh, duh, this is as much Star Wars overload as I possibly could have. And then I ended up going and getting like, Star Wars comics and I had to review that too. So I was like, whoa, it was a busy day. And I even told you, I was like, I should have probably just taken a day off. If this happens again, I will contemplate just taking taking a personal day and just well, so I don't have to stress so much about and I shouldn't be stressing about Star Wars, but I kind of was like, ooh, you know. Well, here's a funny thing now that you mentioned that. Um so me and my buddy, we were we were actually discussing like this sort of thing, like the content I guess overload or like a lot of content all at once with Star Wars. So we were adding it up. And roughly, you know, rough estimates, say, with Skeleton Crew, Mando, Ahsoka, um, and Bad Batch, we're looking at, in like, if we're saying just by a single week-by-week -week basis for 2023, we're looking at least anywhere between about 36 to 40 or 42 weeks, potentially, worth of content. So the thing is, they're going to double it up again at some point. For, for Bad Batch, Bad Batch is going to have to overlap with one of these live-action shows because if not, we're looking at... I mean, they could spread it out, of course, but we're looking at anywhere, like I said, it's about 36 to 40 or maybe 42 weeks worth of content. And that's not including any of the holiday specials potentially either. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we actually did the math, or not me, but I was listening to one of the Star Wars on a Row podcasts, and they had done the math on all this. If the shorts came out once a week and all this sort of thing, it would have been 50-something weeks of Star Wars, or close to 50 weeks of Star Wars this week. And then we've seen how we had that big drought. I say drought. Again, this is not anything worth complaining about when we had a 10-year gap of Star Wars on-screen content. But like there was that three-month gap where it was curious, like, why... Why didn't Bad Batch come out between... They, that would have fit perfectly right there. Um, so just pushing everything back. Skeleton Crew, Ahsoka, Mando, Bad Batch. That's basically every season, right? Your, your Bad Batch will be all of winter. Mando will be all of spring. Ahsoka all of summer. And Skeleton Crew all of fall. So there you go. If you have your seasonal show, we're getting Star Wars content pretty regularly. Maybe having like a gap of a month somewhere in there every once in a while, but that's about it. I mean, every season getting Star Wars, you can't complain about that. Oh yeah, that's that's the important thing too with me. Honestly, I think like like having it semi spread out, like because you know you kind of hit those waves of content where it's like like for me personally, I'm not sure about you or like any um, some of our viewers or listeners, but like for me, I like having a little bit of time to breathe between you know, the seasons of the shows, like, for example, I wouldn't want Andor to end in whatever it would be like four weeks from now. I wouldn't want it to end. And then the very next week be Book of Boba Fett, you know, or um, the Mandalorian, you know, or Ahsoka. Like I want, you know, some time to like build up the hype for those shows versus just like, boom, here's the next episode. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the, uh, that's kind of how I am. Yeah. It's nice to have time for discussion and not feeling like the impact of the show is hampered by the premiere of another show where it's like, that's the thing when it comes to star Wars, especially with the communities, I feel like we're always just dwelling on what's coming next. We, we don't spend enough time on 
retroactively looking back on something, a lot of it. And that's the fun part, like, because when you look ahead of something, that's where the speculation comes into play. And that's where I think a lot of the fun of discussions is, ooh, what do you think will happen? What's what's coming next down the pipe? Um, and if you have something coming right like the next week, then there's almost no retro retro look back at the season of a whole. So makes sense. Makes sense. I oh, yeah. Wanna, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I was laughing. I'm so uh, here, here's a fun thing for our viewers too. Um, our viewers and our listeners, I was just laughing because my, my younger cousin, he just sent me photos from him and his girlfriend. They're going out tonight as Anakin and Padme. And it's hilarious. He sent me like pictures of him doing like the force choke to her and stuff. Um, so, you know, that's something as well, like for our viewers or our listeners tonight, like if you're dressing up in any Star Wars costumes this weekend, like be sure to like comment them down below or, you know, send them to us on Twitter, like at Real Ben Maynard for me, Star After for Chris and Milton Seven Weber on Twitter as well. All three of us, like we'd love to see your Star Wars costumes. Chris, I can't hear you. Yeah, I've been muting as I furiously type away and then I don't take myself off mute. That's what usually happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the costumes, I have no shortage of the costumes because I'm always going to Comic-Con. Even if I want to yep. play a casual rebel pilot, casual rebel, um, just going around and just having fun, I could just wear a jacket and some tall boots and, and strap a blaster to my pants and say, hey, I'm just uh, uh, Captain... Kevar or something, you know, just make my own my own character in the Star Wars universe, which I plan on doing with this Rogue Squadron jacket that I love that I got from New York Comic Con. But um, speaking of things that I got, um, I said we're gonna get into our our week in Star Wars, and it will be centered around other Black Series figure because yeah, I picked up one in which I thought I would never pick up more of these things again, and I guess I have a little bit of an of a problem. When it comes to these, because they're so cool, and I can't stop buying them. Um, this, as I oh, said, nice. is a nostalgia buy. Definitely, because this is Dengar. And this is nice. the Black Series Archive version, where they have redone the face paint and add a little details. They, they do these re-releases of the figures where they touch them up, make them look better. And even on the back of the cartridge here, you even get to see like the original Black Series version of him with the good old black and red packaging. So yeah, I had to pick this up because I always have this thing of like, oh, is fate telling me to buy something if I see it more than once? Like that's my, that's my you know, big, big indicator right there because I had gone to New York um, as I often do and we were, I was like, let, let me check out the Target just to see what toys they have, see what Star Wars is like in, in New York and they had a great selection, and then there on the peg was Dengar. And I, I was telling my girlfriend, I said, oh, man, you don't understand how much nostalgia this figure means for me because this is one of those Kenner figures, Powers of Force. I somehow vividly remember, I must have been six or seven, getting this figure and then just chilling in, like, the, the car or, or basically, yeah, chilling in the car, going into a, a place to get shoes when I was like, we used to go to this place in, in, in Jersey. My mom would always get our shoes, me and my sister at this place. And I was just very bored out of my mind, but I had this Dengar figure and I was just 
remember playing around and being like so satisfied like even though i was bored i was like well at least i got this cool action figure to play with and and I remember i, I just like the character dengar um just the, the toy itself is like very uh, the beefier kind of uh action figure you know it is a little it's got a little meat on the bones a little bit a little bit extra there a little bit easier to play around i don't know but uh, i just remember like it's cool like this badass guy with this armor and this head wrap thing it's like yeah this is a this is a cool action figure so that was Definitely one of my more um, often played with action figures. So when I seen the Black Series figure, I said, "Ooh, I don't know if I should buy this." Like I, I said, I wouldn't buy any more of these things. And she's <laughs> like, "Oh, you should buy it if you really want it." And I was like, "No, I'm walking away." And I walked away, and I was, that was it. I'm not not getting. It. I don't need any more of these things. Then the next day, <laughs> I went to the Walmart on the way back from her place. Um, cause I've had luck there in the past and I was like, oh my gosh, this, there's only one of these figures left again. And I was like, that, that's always the thing. If I see a, a figure that's kind of rare and I say no to it and I see it again, then I buy it because I'm like, okay, there's something telling me divine, whatever out there telling me to buy this figure. Cause I won't maybe see it again or else I don't want to pay like triple the price on on eBay or something down the road and then just cursing myself for not buying it for, for normal price. So there you go. That's my long story about, hey, I <laughs> thought I was done with Black Series until nostalgia bumped into me and I said, I need to get this thing because this is one of my favorite toys as a kid. So there you go. I'll probably br break them out of the package just because I don't like the packaging for the archives as much. But um, then I started seeing different um, box boxes in the wild on Twitter about what Hasbro is doing with the completely disgusting looking packaging going forward. So yeah, I think it's safe to say I'm just not even gonna collect anymore with the Black Series um, because the packaging looks like total crap. Like it's just boxes now. There's no plastic, see, we talked about this last week probably, no plastic see-through, you don't know who you're getting. It's like, what is this, a mystery box now for Black Series figures? I mean, you know who you're well, getting, but you don't see what they look like. So if you buy a crappy-looking face, you're stuck with it. Yeah, that that's that was my uh, my thing. I thought about even after our podcast last week when we when we briefly touched over or the week before. It's like I don't, you don't know what you're purchasing, but the thing is, you know, if you're say if you are a, like a hardcore collector with maybe an intent of selling eventually, you know, you can't open the box because it automatically ruins the value if you open up the package, but you, you know, how do you know what product you're getting? That, that's the, um, that's the thing with that. So it's just like, like you said, it's like a mystery box. That's, that's what it, exactly what it reminds you of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was the story there. And I did see the Marvel Marvel's doing it too. Cause I was at my comic shop as I am always every Wednesday comic relief in central Jersey and they have the Marvel Legends, which is the analogous line that Marvel has with Star Wars Black Series, and they're all in the damn boxes, and I just like kind of shook my head. I was like, that's the end of an era. I know they're trying to save the planet, but it's like, couldn't you at least have a little bit of a window? You know, just a little yeah. bit less plastic used to just be better for the collectors, but I guess uh, people that are looking for the original packaging are just going to go with the the vintage collection series three and three quarter. Um, Cause at least they'll be able to see those figures. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are classics too. You got to love the three and three quarters. Yeah. And you know what? I, I was very begrudging about getting a black series until 
um, I started getting a niche because they were like, oh, these they were putting out more black series than three and three quarters at the time. So collectors were basically stuck with black series. And then after a while, you get initiated and assimilated into just feeling like that's your normal thing. And then, and then this happens and you're like, oh, am I going to have to go back? Because I went to New York Comic Con and they had this one booth. It was beautiful. Gonzo was with me. Gonzo was like my Sherpa for collecting at New York Comic Con because he had scoped out the whole showroom floor. He's like, yeah, man, you got I'll take you. I'll take you where all the black series are. And he took me there. He's like, I'll take you to the booth with all the, the vintage collection. And then he was there buying it. I was just like, yep, these are actually pretty cool because I didn't realize how much of a vast quantity that they have released of the vintage collection. They even had the vintage collection figures with the Tarkovsky Clone Wars backing it. The Luminara Aduli, they had the um, Barris Afi, and they had the Ala Secura. So they looked, the, the figures yep. themselves looked like realistic, but the card backs they were on were like the animated version of them. And I was like, ooh, that's a really collector. Cool collector. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Collectible there. So, oh man. Yeah, I want to shout out the chat real quick. We got the art chemist. What's going on? Hey, you know, just talking to normal Star Wars as we do every nine o'clock, every Friday here, man. Uh, man or woman, whoever. They, I don't know, um, Aaron Daly, the past week I saw the show called The Toys That Built America on History Channel, and they had an episode where they went into how the first Star Wars toys were made and marketed with the films, and she also said, if you get the chance to check it out, it's really cool. So there you go, there's a recommendation uh, for some, um, not Star Wars content specifically, but stuff that definitely ties in with Star Wars. But what about you, Ben? Do you have any Star Wars adventures or anything this week? Yeah, I've actually seen that episode of The Toys That Build America. It's really good. I definitely recommend that. Um, that show in general is a really good series on History Channel, like for, you know, seeing the Star Wars aspect of it, obviously with the Star Wars toys, but there's all kinds of other ones, like, you know, they've done The Food That Built America and so on and so on. Uh, so, like, that's an interesting series altogether um, for people to check out on History Channel. But um, when it comes to me this week, I didn't have anything, like, too eventful, I would say, in terms of, like, I didn't get any awesome, like, Black Series figures like you had um, shown, um, or anything like that, really, for the most part. I would say, like, for me, I think a big part of my Star Wars week was, as I mentioned in the opener, like, ta like Tales of the Jedi bring in a nice, like, positive vibe back to um, parts of the fandom, and just, like bringing a nice, like, feeling of excitement back. And, uh, yeah, it, it just uh, it just was a good week. And then, you know, I saw I saw a video um, that I sent you with John and Dave getting interviewed by Entertainment Weekly. Like, it's nice seeing them, like, just talk about Star Wars. Like, we need more of that. We need more of that. Like, you know, forget, forget Entertainment Weekly and the implications from that interview. Like, we just need... Like, just them talking more, you know? Just just release, like, a five-minute video every week like that. Like, I would sure. love that. And, you know, that type of stuff, I feel like, is what um, the fandom needs, honestly. Yeah, come to, come to Star Wars Celebration Europe. We'll see plenty of them. That's all I'm saying. We'll have that panel for Skeleton yep. Crew. We'll have that panel for Ahsoka. Panel for maybe Book of Boba. No, not Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, maybe they'll just do, like, a Mandalorian panel. But with Ahsoka coming out. And as we're thinking as i said maybe just like they had in anaheim maybe we'll get the the series the season premiere of mandalorian i think might be premiering at celebration if we're looking at the trajectory of if bad batch comes out 
I don't think they'd want to bury it with Mando coming out at the same time. So they pushed that back three months from January. We'll get you roughly into April. I could see them showing it off to us there and then, you know, having the Ahsoka panel and all that kind of thing. When was Celebration this year? In it's April? The first, it's uh, April 7th, I believe, through the 10th. Oh, oh, okay, okay. See, that's what that's what threw off my scheduling when I was thinking about um, our, colon- our calendar year for the content for Star Wars because I was thinking Celebration was in May for some reason. So I was like, man, this is really throwing the content off. But that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I could 100% see that happening because, you know, Bad Batch, it doesn't matter if it's the season finale of Bad Batch or not. Like, if Mando Episode 1 comes out, it's going to nuke um, the Bad Batch completely. Like, Yeah. So so they just have to, like, kind of strategically work around that. Or, I mean, it, I mean, a lot of it also comes down to how many episodes the Bad Batch is. Like, for me... I, I don't know if it'll be 16 again. I, I, I just feel like it's going to be like 12 or something. 10, 12 episodes maybe. But, uh, but you know, like you said, it'll, it'll cover at least January, February, March. And mm-hmm. then, we'll, then we'll go from there. And then we got to, you know, we have to roll from potentially in the Mandalorian into Skeleton Crew. And then I, I, I'm 100%. I would be stunned if Ahsoka wasn't the holiday show. Um, next year like it's really it, it just feel it just to me it feels like it's it's so like th- this is my thinking for ahsoka like i'm i mean I, I could be completely off here but for me ahsoka feels more um probably like i would say based on hype based on the potential of the show the potential of basically being rebel season five um so like they're gonna play off that hype so, like, to me, it just seems like that, like, it feels almost more cinematic, if that makes sense, more bigger. It feels big, potentially bigger than Mando could be, like, like just um, on, a, on a galactic level. So, like, to me, it just, it just feels like it would be kind of in the movie slot for Star Wars, which would be, like, November, December. Like, I feel like, I think Ahsoka could be launching maybe, like, how the original Mandalorian did, like, the first week of November or whatever it was that year. Um, you know, I could see it being something like that because, yeah, I, I just don't see it being a summer show. I, th- I think Skeleton Crew is going to be our in-between sh- show, though, for sure, because they're not going to want to, like, they're not going to want to put, um, I don't know, I just, I just feel like they're going to have to be careful with Skeleton Crew, honestly, just thinking about it now, now that I'm, like, talking it out, just because, like, if it's too close to the Mandalorian or Ahsoka, like, you could just blow up that show unless it's like obviously it could has a chance of being really high quality but you know what i mean just like the hype of the mandalorian or the hype of ahsoka could totally wipe out skeleton crew so it's just i don't know the content schedule is going to be very interesting is all i gotta say yeah i mean uh just looking at what we've had obi-wan came out in spring and that's as that's as blockbuster as you can get man True. Uh, i think i think oh, yeah. that's i i don't think they care about that at the timing of putting this out because they're going to get the views no matter what and it all comes down production schedule we know that that Ahsoka's almost wrapped there's been reports of uh the the, the actress that plays Lisa Bordiza uh whoever whatever the, the actress that plays Sabine is she's done filming apparently this Ezra guy he might be done filming and there's no word on skeleton crew who the heck the main even actors are for these kids at this point. So 
I I think just they're just going how they would normally go. They're not going to hold on to this to let the other thing finish to swap them. I think it's just get these done in sequence order. Whatever comes, whatever gets finished first, we're putting that out first because we have this huge slate and we can't like risk pushing things back. Um, well, and and you know the thing is as well, like talking about these these live action shows. It's got to like correspond at least a little bit to Marvel. Like you know, they're not going to want to debut like The Mandalorian and another like show like you know an, a season opener on the same day or something. So uh, you know, and I don't know the Marvel content schedule by any stretch, but uh, oh, I'm sure Marvel has projects coming. There's a lot for Marvel. There's going to be so much overlap. It's they got Secret Invasion. They got What If season two. I think they got Agatha Harkness. They got. I don't know, but there's at least four or five shows, I believe. Yeah. Oh, man, um, another packed year of streaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got Dark Nerdy Gonzo in the house. It says, I concur with Aaron's statement up above. Also, I recommend a YouTube channel called Spectre Creative, a toy collector who works in the toy in, in the toy industry. Lots of gems to gleam from him. So, getting into our housekeeping, as usual... We got our podcast available for you guys to listen to on the road, at the gym, anything uh, you are doing, which allows you to listen to a podcast. You can download our podcast on any streaming service of your choice to search Outer Room Transmission. If listening is not up to your speed, you can go ahead and watch us after the fact or live on youtube.com slash Raptor. Join us live, though, because we love to have the, the comments, the chat as we go through, and you'll be shouted out as you talk if it's something reasonable that you say at least in the chat <laughs> all right so getting into it we're gonna start off the bat with some quick hit news stories we're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on these just because there's so much to review today that i just thought that some of these stories were worth mentioning so we've been talking lately about this david lindelof project we have jeff snyder who is one of the most up-and-coming scoopers that has been pretty much on the money for a lot of these things. And he comes from the good old Collider days back with John Campia and Christian Harloff. So you might have you might have heard him. You might have seen his face around. But yes, he has been really on point with this. And now he is saying that he's got wind that this movie might be replacing the date that Taika Waititi's film eventually got pushed back. This might be our 2025 film at this point. Um, so... That is a big deal. That is a big deal because, you know, Taika Waititi, uh, we don't know what the heck is happening with that thing at this point. So the fact that we're getting something in its place and we have the director from, I think she was the director, she was a writer, um, Charmin Abadchino, who is tapped to be directing the movie. So she's involved with Ms. Marvel and the movie script is going to be by Damon Lindelof himself as well, Justin Britt Gibson. And the big thing this week was we are basically going to get after the Rise of Skywalker. We're going to get some content after the Rise of Skywalker. The big news is some of the characters could be from the sequel trilogy. So there you go. Big, uh, yeah. big bombs dropping from that one. Oh, yeah. That one, you know, when that dropped, when that dropped, I believe that was Monday morning that dropped. Um, and like that was that was a big surprise waking up and seen that article um and report like everywhere um and it's just crazy because you know we've talked for so long on here like man are they ever going to go past episode nine or is it just like back 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 um and like to me it's good 
you know, having the potential of it pushing past episode nine, like moving forward. Um, and, you know, a potential of the sequel characters being in it, like to me, that, I don't know, that, that screams it's probably basically whoever, like, you know, if this makes sense, like whoever could come back, like, based on scheduling, based on contracts, based on all of that sort of stuff, like, I think that's kind of how they're going to do it. Like, I think there's a chance, you know, we see, we may we may see a Daisy a Ridley, we may, we may see an Oscar Isaac, um, people like that, some of the other characters, maybe John Boyega, but that is a stretch, I think. See, like, that's where I'm thinking, you know, like, someone, like, that's why they're not directly calling it, like, say, episode 10 or something, because I think it's going to be something along the lines of, like, you know, we're going to get some type of just random random Star Wars title and maybe have some of these sequel characters in it, and it'll be whatever they're up to at the time, like maybe rebuilding the Republic or, um, you know, whatever it would be classified as at that time, and, you know, something along those lines. Or, I mean, heck, if it's not even Rey or Finn, like, you could see it, maybe the Rogue Squadron thing, like, say if that was after Episode Nine, maybe this... You know, we get some Oscar Isaac stuff because he, you know, he's been working with Disney Plus lately, so he's under like the Disney umbrella. So it just makes you wonder who's going to be involved. That that's the big the big question there because like as soon as we hear who's exactly involved in it, then we'll for sure be able to, you know, kind of like nail down an idea. Like if they come out and say Daisy Ridley starring, we're going to have a good idea. It's about her, you know, like rebuilding the Jedi or rebuilding the the galaxy, et cetera, et cetera. But if it's not, if Daisy's not involved, then I, I mean, I don't know what it could be. It could, it could just be like rebuilding the, the galaxy. Yeah. I mean, we're looking back at another report for Kathleen Kennedy. I think it was from variety and that piece they put out right before celebration where she said, uh, they're not as much interested in doing trilogies anymore. They're interested in doing more of like standalone movies. So yep. we're going to see how this approach works, because if they're doing standalone movies, I think they looked at the trilogy, the sequel trilogy, they've seen all the backlash, they realized, oh, you know, unless somebody's yeah. like directing and writing all three of these movies in a row, like the Ryan Johnson one, Mike could be if that ever gets off the ground. Let's see how we work with the standalones. I mean, people loved Rogue One, right? People love that movie. I, yeah. I keep hearing it every, every time I talk to somebody. Almost, not every time, but a lot. People will say, that was my favorite movie of the Disney era. I get that so much. So much. Whenever yep. I bring up Star Wars, they always people always point that out. And that's why I'm like, you gotta watch Andor. You gotta watch Andor, because that's that's gonna feed right into your favorite Star Wars movie um, in great yep. ways, great ways, which we'll talk about in much detail later on this episode. But yeah, it's something I wanted to mention, um, because it's been weird, you know, honestly, in this era of Star Wars and not hearing about the casting announcements for, for the next movie, not seeing a poster for the next new movie, not seeing those behind the scenes shots for the next movie. And if this thing is coming out in 2025, it's a long, long wait, but at least they know they're giving themselves a wide berth to conceptualize, give themselves time to make this thing. Because there's yeah, a lot I, that goes into a movie. You got to do all the pre-production, the, the concept art, the scripts, and then hiring the 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 cast. Oh yeah, like I think with that, like my thing with 
with the whole situation there. It's like, I feel like maybe they need to almost expand their team a little bit or, or something just because, you know, I, I heard, uh, you know, Campy and Harloff brought it up this week on their shows. Like the thing with Star Wars right now is, you know, it's like, we shouldn't have to wait six years in between a movie. Like we shouldn't. It sh- we should be getting at least one Star Wars movie a year, whether it be a spinoff or an episodic film, etc. Like we should be getting something because, like you know, you have Marvel. They're, I mean, they're pumping out how much content a year, three, four mm. movies, and however many shows a year. So it's like I feel like Star Wars is trying to take take it with too too um like too much of a slow drip ap- approach, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just feel like they need to amp up production on things. Like it, it just feels like sometimes to me, it, it feels kind of like they're dragging their feet, almost like, like, well, we'll get to the content eventually. Like, and it's just like, why not get a movie out there? Because the thing is with Star Wars, it's even with the place it's in, like in terms of theatrical. At the end of the day. If you put a Star Wars movie out, it will make money. Like it'll 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 make at least a baseline, I don't know, five, six hundred million dollars. It it'll make a baseline amount of money. Mm-hmm. I mean look, solo solo got crushed and made like five hundred and fifty million. So like, <laughs> you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make something at least. Like to me, they should be putting out stories. Like put out stories and put out stories, like and if the movie doesn't go over well with the audience, okay. Be like, hey, we got a plan. We got a next movie getting the pipeline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, versus like a six-year time gap is a long, long time, or potentially because because Rise of Skywalker was what 2019. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at so we're looking at maybe 2025. Like Whoa. that's a long time. That's getting there to where there's almost that gap between the prequels and the sequels. You know, that's getting yeah. there. And yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I we keep quoting this guy as if you know he should give us a kickback for how many times we mentioned the channel john campria (laughs) (laughs) i guess you could say we're fans or we're we're we're, uh good viewers or something but he was saying earlier in the week where it was just like oh you know it's unacceptable you have this major company and they've been this long without a movie already like three a billion years, dollar like, company. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like how? It's like what? Like this should have been. Uh, we were. I remember when we were ramping up to two movies a, a year, and that was a yeah. Big you remember talking that back in the day, like when like, Force Awakens? It was like, yeah, guys, we're coming out. We're gonna crank out two movies a year, like Marvel. One in the spring, one in the winter. Boom, boom, boom. And then it's like, never mind. Yeah. Like. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's 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 definitely interesting. I hope. I hope though maybe they're turning a new foot with this with this with this potential report from Jeff Snyder about this movie like maybe we're turning a new foot and hey maybe it'll be kind of like that thing um you know we talked about it maybe a month or two ago maybe two months ago now but uh like when Christian Harloff pointed out about the whole you know Marvel continuity like the Marvel movies are always pushing forward they're not going back maybe this movie with that Jeff Snyder's referencing, maybe it'll be like the first step of like just a continuous movie push forward instead of going back. And if they do that, then that can open up a bunch of storytelling for for um, Star Wars. Heck yeah! 
So another exciting event that we have coming up, and this actually has a date. It's coming up in April, and we already talked about it a little bit. Celebration Europe 2023. We have the key art revealed. I love the key art because this is front and center celebration of Return of the Jedi's 40th year. And we got, if you're not watching the video, let's describe it for you. We have basically the X-Wings, the A-Wings, the Y-Wings, and uh, the Death Star too. And they're all coming from the they're all coming from the direction of the top of the poster and plummeting down towards the very noticeable uh, buildings of London, you know, the Big Ben and the tower and the, the big Ferris wheel, the eye and all all those sorts of things. So it's a really cool design because it's front and center. That's going to be a big deal. We're going to have that panel of 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. So for me, it's a big deal because I'm going to I'm going to Europe for the first time. And as I often say, Return of the Jedi, I believe that was my first time of like stepping my foot into the larger galaxy of Star Wars for the first time. <laughs> um, seeing Jabba the Hutt there in the throne room. So I, I'm, I'm like, oh, this is this is going to be a really big celebration for me. This is. This is the film that got me into Star Wars, and they're celebrating this big, big, big bombastic party basically over there in England. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. You know, things start to get real when you start seeing poster artwork. Pretty soon, we're gonna start getting those early announcements of, you know, different actors showing up to do the autographs and the whatnot. They even announced official pics is coming back to do. Um, the, the whole autograph signing uh at least the photo ops i believe so yeah there you go there you go so those of you that are looking forward to it um start getting your stuff together i mean if you're looking to go to celebration last i checked there's like one day left available to buy i think it's that monday so yeah this thing sold out faster than the new york comic-con which was surprising in itself so you know that's what happens when you have a convention that's been in america for the last several years since 2016 i think was the the last time i remember 2016 was when they were promoting rogue one that's when it was in england because i was watching a live stream so yeah it's about time it's about time that people across the pond across the other end uh get their shot of visiting the the best convention you'll ever go to in all over the world if you're a, a genre fan if you're a fan of anything star wars celebration uh is definitely going to be the place you want to be you, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, so. I mean, it's it's a really good. It's good that they're having it over there, just because you know, with Europe especially, you know, you can get so many people from so many different countries just easily. Even just driving there, like you can drive all around Europe. You know, we've been there before, and you can just get a car and drive all around. Like you know, just take a road trip three or four hours. Like you can drive to Germany, to France, to like Austria. Like you know, you can drive country to country, like all over the place, all over Europe. So like having it over there and it's just it's nice that it's so accessible to so many different people um you know like you said versus just obviously it's not exclusively u.s but like having it in the u.s like it makes it feel more like u.s based versus worldwide base um so so like i do like that it's accessible to like a lot of people like that and then it does make mm -hmm. me wonder though with it being return of the jedi's 40th makes me wonder if they'll do like a surprise uh, George Lucas appearance potentially um, at that. Just because it's like, like sure, you know, George isn't around too much. But the thing is, I feel like if they would have, if they contacted him 
like even if he however he feels about star wars right now like i feel like in the back of his head he's he'd probably go eh, yeah I, I i could see him going to it just like you know what i mean because it's like significant it was like the end of his saga or whatever and like maybe maybe they do that because you know we weren't expecting him to show up at uh what was it the one celebration and he did yeah so i mean it's a chance yeah no, I don't have any credence or any um, optimism on that front, Ben, because <laughs> I've been to the last two celebrations, and what we've had is him calling up on a cell phone, <laughs> talking <laughs> awkwardly for not even 20 seconds, and then, like, that's it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's what I expect these days. It's just a short, real quick to the point. Oh, Return of the Jedi was was really fun it was a lot of a lot of work but a lot of fun i'm happy it was made enjoy celebration everybody and that's basically send me, send me, send me my check <laughs> yeah there we go there's there's where's my 20k you know whatever um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's, uh, that's that's true that's what i would expect but man oh man I, there's a lot to review tonight so i want to cut to the chase we have tales yep. of the jedi and uh, uh, Milton sent us a really excited, very optimistic uh, a review based on the Dooku episodes, specifically episode four. We're not even going to mention it here because I want to save all the joy and excitement for when he comes on the show next week. Because yeah. um, I'll just say recommend just watch the Dooku stuff. Uh, it will not disappoint. It's it's basically quintessential Star Wars at its finest. It's 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 very pivotal to really getting a good understanding of the sequel uh, of the prequel trilogy and that's what i'll say about that but ben we're talking tonight about the ahsoka ep ahsoka episodes we have life and death we have practice makes perfect and we have resolve so let's just dive into each episode on its own i don't even know if we're going to grade these necessarily I don't know what to do about that um, <laughs> individually, or if we're going to even give them a grade. I, I don't know what to do, because um, they're short, so it's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out at the end. But let's just talk about life and death. I, I will preamble this by saying this was the episode I seen at Star Wars Celebration back in April, and or back in May. And yeah, Dave, Dave Filoni was on stage, and Dave Filoni is always so cagey, and the fact that he actually got us... He brought the tape. He let us all watch it there. I was shocked that he actually let us see his baby, so to speak, earlier than everybody else. But it was the same thing we seen then. It was the same thing we see now. And I think this was a great way. This is the first episode in the, the sequential order that you'd watch these on Disney+. And I think it was a great way to bring people in because it's very much a tone poem where you're not going to have a lot of dialogue it's like that silent movie you can follow along, not even have any dialogue and understand what's happening. The birth of Ahsoka, her basically just being an infant and observing mainly, just observing things her mother, the Togruta people do, the culture that's there is really neat, and nature and how that culture learns from a very early age about survival and everything that's revolving around that respecting nature and all that sort of thing and then her being discovered as a jedi so so i'm gonna throw it over to you uh just first thoughts on this episode man or this short i'll say i keep saying that i keep having to erase that when i type it i keep saying episode it's a short darn it <laughs> yeah i would say honestly 
Um, I was really surprised about this episode. I, I liked it a lot, or I guess short. <laughs> um, gosh, you just said that, and I just said episode. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it a lot, surprisingly, just because at first when I saw it, it was like, oh, this is baby Ahsoka. What's this going to be like? Just some Goo Goo Gaga stuff. But, um, but it turned out to be a really, really good short. Like, uh, you know, like you mentioned, you, you get to see her born, like, kind of... Uh, growing up-ish, not not like growing up to adulthood or childhood or whatever, but like, you know, growing up as in like getting life lessons um, potentially ingrained in her from like an early age um, just just through like witnessing like what her, her, uh, her people are doing, specifically her mother. So, you know, you have, you have those like lessons being taught to Ahsoka, which I think were really nice just because of... Uh, you know, her character, her character, like, as an adult, is, like, really, like, well-principled, and, you know, that sort of stuff, and you can see a perfect connection between even, like, child Ahsoka to, like, Ahsoka we know clear in The Mandalorian, like, you know, you can see that connection, like, that's not a different character, even even though that's a baby Ahsoka, that's not a different character than what we're getting in Mando, so... Like, to me, I think Dave, like, did it again. Like, he nailed, um, like, the, the principles of the episode, the character, like, and it was just done, you know, really well. Like, honestly. And then, you know, uh, seeing the whole, like, tiger thing, that was that was really cool. And, like, it startled me at first because I was like, man, this thing's back alive. Like, I thought it was, like, dead. And then, you know, it just, like, launches up and it's like, whoa, here... How's 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 all this gonna go down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I will say is I like the mother Bafti and how she has so much strength and agile, fear fearlessness. She's fearless, uh, courageous, brave. Just yep. all the sort of um, aspects and qualities that we see Ahsoka has, and Ahsoka never really knows her mother because we know she's. At this moment, somehow off screen, they're going to contact Plo Koon. He's going to come by to pick her up. So she, I don't know if she has flash memories of her mother. Probably not really. But yeah, it's interesting. So it's really cool seeing how and taking Ahsoka out of the equation. What I like about this is what happens when a culture like discovers that somebody's force sensitive, like how early on can an infant or a baby exhibit force sensitive qualities and you know their innocence their innocence is just a big animal so she just like gets it to soothe she soothes its mind and it's funny because there's like a lot of stories in star wars now recently that have been utilizing the whole effect of a jedi doing some kind of beast mastery or beast control yeah. like we just we've seen something happen recently i don't i think it was in one of the star wars issues that that luke i think might have done something like that um, yeah, I could I think be I wrong. Saying Luke did it in something, but uh, yeah, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, the, that's I mean, been... Anakin did it in Attack of the Clones with the Reek. That know? is true. Oh, I often forget that's about a cool that. Cool connection, like master, master and apprentice doing it. Oh yeah, I did not even think about that. But the lesson, as we say with this, with this actual short life and death, getting into that theme of. We see her being born, basically, or seeing her just her being life early on. 
and her mother just showing her death already so early on like this is the way of things this is the cycle of life this is how our people survive this is normal and we got to respect we got to respect these animals and we got to you know when we put them down we just got to treat them good you know we're we're, we're living off the land we're, we're we're it's just a working type of people so i love that i love that so so for me that the, the theme was you know, very surface level, I would say, but it was, oh, yeah. it got its point across, it got its point across for sure. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely got its point across. I thought, um, you know, one of the best parts that or one of the best aspects of the episode as a whole, for me anyways, was, you know, what you mentioned to open your talk about this episode was the fact that it wasn't just full of dialogue. Because when you only have 12 minutes or whatever, that's not enough time to like pump in a, a ton of dialogue, you know, or, or if it does, it has to mean something and be snappy and get it, you know, keep, keep things moving. So it was nice that there wasn't like an overflood of dialogue and you could just get back to kind of like, you know, kind of like what George Lucas talked about with Star Wars. Like, you know, you should be able to like cut the dialogue and still get a gist of what's going on visually. Like it's visual storytelling. So like you should be able to tell what's happening and like, you know, you definitely could with this episode. I mean, heck you could have, for the most part, you could have muted this episode and still got, got the point. Yeah. It's, it, that's uh, like the Japanese, there's Japanese, the Kurosawa films, right? Like, Yep. A lot of them kind of the same sort of way, a little less dialogue, but you understand the journey and the mythos that is happening before your eyes. Yeah. Now, did you get on the same page with me as far as getting that similar vibe that the baby sounded just like Grogu? <laughs> so good. Oh, well, 100%. Like, I was I, like, I was wait a minute. That. Did they I was, use the I same thing? Yeah. Like, like, I even joked to my buddy. I even joked to my buddy. I was like, man... We should have, like, I don't know how it's even possible. We should have, like, Grogu somehow meet baby Ahsoka. Like, that would be incredible. Oh, my gosh. You know, that could have been, if they are still doing those Forces of Destiny shorts, I could totally oh, yeah. see, see that being one, like, the one of the two-minute shorts they used to have. All that. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, let's see. What else did I have in my notes here for this episode? Yeah, the music was incredible. I loved yep. hearing Kevin Kiner back. I feel like I'm, I'll just say right now because every one of these is music by Kevin Kiner, but it, it definitely shines. You get those Ahsoka, you get the Ahsoka theme, but it's played a little bit differently, but it just yep. amplifies amplifies everything going on there. So there you go. That was episode one, Life and Death. We're going to move over to the next one. So this is technically short five, episode five. Everyone practice makes perfect. In this one, we have an expanse of time. We have a young Ahsoka training with the troopers. So Anakin decides tough love for his Padawan and says, you know, droids are too easy and too predictable. I want you to fight against my own clones because if you can fight against them, you're ready for anything. So we see her training, failing, training, failing. Then it fa fast forwards and she's a little older and they're fighting on the, uh, the Star Destroyer there. And then it goes to Order 66. So you see the whole purpose of this episode was basically to say like, okay, this was how Ahsoka was able to combat 
and have the reflexes and instincts that most Jedi didn't have when their clone brethren took it upon themselves with Order 66 to annihilate them without them even having a, a little bit of an instinct to go against it. So, what were your thoughts on this one, man? Oh, I loved it. Like, I loved seeing... I love seeing Anakin um, push her so hard. You know, that was great as, like, seeing him as a master, like, more is always really nice. Just because, like, to me, I don't know about you, but to me, he definitely feels, I mean, I mean, I guess he witnessed it in Phantom Menace, but he, Anakin feels more Qui-Gon to me than he feels more, like, from the Obi-Wan apprentice tree. Like, he definitely feels more, like, in that, like, I'm going to bend the rules, push things to the limit, like, you know, that sort of, that sort of vibe and like that's how Anakin was in this episode for me like it's like he was really like pushing Ahsoka to the limits like all throughout it like you know they would blast her she would get stunned and knocked out and then she would wake up and you know even heard I think Rex or one of the other clone troopers like oh I don't know how much more she can take and he's like well go again um so like you know it was great seeing like that whole master and apprentice relationship and then you know of course like, I didn't know where the episode was going. Like, you know, when we first started watching that episode, I was like, all right, where are we going? Are we just going to get, like, 12 straight minutes of Ahsoka just getting blasted, 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 and then at the very end, her deflect the blast and, like, boom, training over? Like, I was like, what's going on? Like, where's this leading? And then, you know, I love where, uh, when it gets to the final cut, like, when it, you know, she, like, gets knocked out again or whatever, like, you know, it goes black, and then then the screen opens back up, and you realize you're in Order 66, and you're like, oh, man, now, you know, everything connects now. Like, it's it's great. Like, so, like, to me, I really, really enjoyed how they did that. Like, that was perfect. Um, it was a perfect buildup to the end of that episode. Like, it really was. Like, I, I think they they nailed it. And, like, just Ahsoka, like you mentioned, getting those lessons, that's a good point. Too, you know, she 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 got those lessons when all the other Jedi like they weren't used to fighting clone troopers like that, like that style of attack. Mm-hmm. So, do you think? Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, again. I I was only able to watch all these once. And I know, guys. I'm usually that. I usually watch everything twice, and I get a better analysis of these. So, if I'm not as deep on these this week, it's because of that. But Ahsoka, do you think this was like? what we see in the beginning was like a memory of her, like in that moment when she's like walking up with Rex, like, do you think she's taking a look back at the beginning of her time training? Like that's all like a flashback from her perspective in her mind of like her in that moment being led by Rex and just like flashing back. Like, yeah, my training all comes down to this, you know, that's an interesting point. I actually watched all of these episodes twice and I didn't even think about it from that angle. I'm going to have to actually check out that one again because I want to see how it opens, like, because it may, it may open as if it's like, you know, we may not realize it, you know, on first viewing, but it may open where it is kind of like a flashback or something where, you know, like you said, maybe, maybe that entire episode was Ahsoka right before, you know, the whole Order 66 stuff went down when her and Rex were getting ready. I mean, you even hear Rex, I love that he added in the comment, like, when they were getting ready to do the Order 66 stuff, he was like, you better hope your training went well, or, or whatever he said to her. And it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, maybe? You know, now that you, now that you point that out, there's a good chance that was just all flashback we watch, actually. Hmm. 
Yeah, very interesting. So, my my take on the episode is this was, and, and you know, I'll give a little bit of a preview of next week. This is the weakest episode for me out of all six. The weakest short. Yep. And I seen I seen some people go online. They're like, "Oh wow, was this was this short made just to fill in a, a little bit of a detail about Ahsoka just having that one up on the clones?" And if that's the case, it's like it's a little bit underwhelming because you're only giving like six shorts and one of them is just like to answer a, a simple question almost i feel like and now is there a way to dig in deeper maybe i mean there's that interaction between anakin and anakin was just not likable at all in this this whole thing like in the be in the beginning at least he was kind of a jerk and a hard ass he was like you're gonna do this you're gonna do it right and it's just like the stern voice that i was like whoa is this the anakin that we know it certainly doesn't really seem like the warm anakin that that's like a little bit humorous uh, but then you see him, you see that way of him come out at the end, and he, he, and he gets her to understand why he's trying so hard for her to get to be that way. Well, you got to think about it from this angle, too, though, with Anakin. I mean, like I mentioned, he's flexible and whatnot, like Qui-Gon, but he also, this is just shortly after Attack of the Clones, so, you, you know, you got to look at it from the view of, oh, oh, that's another side thing to mention, too. I love the transition of the clone armor from you know, in this episode, like how the armor progressed. Like mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool little detail. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, though, with it being so shortly after Attack of the Clones, you know, you got to think like maybe it's because like Anakin is being, you know, he's he's just, just gotten out of the school of strict Obi-Wan, basically. So he's probably still uh... kind of following, like he's, he's leaning toward like Qui-Gon style, but he's still following like more of the Obi-Wan style of like more strict... So it's he's kind of like in that kind of gray area, I would say, of a Je of like a Jedi Master. Um, so like, I think it falls in that category. Like he's just trying to find his place, you know, find his place as well. Like how to be a master. Like because like up to this point, up to Attack of the Clones, you know, it was a proper like progression versus, or I mean, I guess even before Phantom Menace. So let's say before Phantom Menace, like. The Jedi, it was like a proper progression, basically, up to, like, Knight, Master, etc. Attack of the Clones, it's, you know, it's all-out war, basically. So, like, it's kind of a rushed process, like, expedited. So I think that plays into it with his character. Like, that's why he was being such, like, a hard-ass at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say that's probably why. That would be the, that would be the reason why. Um, but I did find him very, like, whoa, Anakin's being, like, really strict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I don't know what's going on with this episode. I was a little bit thrown off by the the character models. Um, Obi-Wan has long hair for some reason, and that threw me off. I was like, he didn't have hair like that in The Clone Wars. Is this taking place, like, before they meet in The Clone Wars? Like, is Anakin just, like, happening by the Jedi training sparring area? And it's like, oh, I'm going to just talk to this Ahsoka character. But then it seems like... He didn't know her when he met her off the transport in the Clone Wars movie. So I don't know if you picked that up, but I was like, where is this in the timeline? Like, this is kind of it's hard for it, me to pinpoint, you know? I mean, it has to be like, it has to be right after, like, immediately after Attack of the Clones, immediately mm -hmm. after Anakin, like, maybe soon as Anakin becomes a, a, a knight, like, like, immediately i would say because like you said obi-wan saw the same look from attack of the clones basically so 
like it just makes you uh, think. I think it's something along those lines. Like it has to be. Who knows? Maybe it's day one, Anakin Jedi Knight. Like maybe it's that. Yeah, I think this could be like, cause and and we'll have a discussion about this coming up very quickly about like the canon stuff with the novels with the the yep. Brotherhood novel at the end of Brotherhood. Obi Wan gets the clone armor, and then it's after Kanan and Moida the business that happened there. And then Obi Wan gets a gets a haircut as he gets the armor for. So obviously there's a there's a inconsistency. Not a bit. Not a big deal. It's just. Just with the hair thing going, and it's one thing from going from a novel to a animated series, but like going from one animated series to another animated series, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting about the hair ordeal. But I can let yeah. that go. I can let that go. It's not. It's a minor detail. <laughs> but I mean, um, did you also catch that Canon Jars was in the background? Oh no, I didn't even catch that actually. Really? I watched okay. it twice. I watched it twice and didn't even realize it. Yeah. So the boy with Depa Balaba was that was Caleb Doom. Oh, oh dang! I I honestly I guess I just didn't even. I mean I I remember her being there. I just don't even remember. I, I guess I it didn't even register with me at the time that was Kanan. Like I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. So Kanan, uh, oh. I loved his reactions too. Like he was idolizing. Ahsoka, he was amazed by her abilities, like uh, his facial expressions, and he could like he didn't really have any dialogue, but like after they get out of the place, like you could see like his like emotive reactions, like he was like so hyped, like talking to his master, like oh did you see that, like oh, I want to be like that, like like you could just see, and it, it it adds a little bit of credence, a little bit layers to Ahsoka and 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 Kanan in Rebels, because like Ahsoka. Uh, Kanan already would know who she is basically at that point. So, yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's a really good uh, observation there that I had missed. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it, it's definitely cool seeing like like connections like that. Even though, like you said, maybe there may be some inconsistencies on some things, but like it is cool getting connections like Depa Balaba and Kanan and like that sort of thing. You know that connects. And um, like it adds to rebels more. Like it adds, it adds more of that like little bit of their relationship between Kanan and Ahsoka, and like, it, and of course, like this adds more relationship. I would say between Anakin and Ahsoka, and then Ahsoka and the clones. Like it just adds a little bit more to it. Yep. So let's dive into our final one for the Ahsoka shorts. That is Resolve. So this is the one that takes place after. Order 66, Ahsoka goes to the funeral of Padme. Very sad, very sad. We see Bales there. We see Mon Mothma's there. I think we see, correct me if I'm wrong, that one character that used to be Padme's lover at one point. Yep. Um, the senator? Yeah. yeah, the senator, dude. Yeah, so that was interesting. But you get to see her like right off the bat, like on the run from the clone troopers. I love how they put the Coruscant guard in there and her interactions with Bail Organa. And she denies Bail Organa for joining any kind of program, but he gives her the communication. So this, this this episode is all about the transition from Ahsoka not wanting to be involved with anything to getting pulled back in and having a realization that by the time she was done with what happened on the village, there's no running from this. She has to accept her destiny. She has to accept the idea that she has to be one of the leaders that's going to help rebel against the Republic turned into into the Empire. So, thoughts yeah, on this I one? Lo 
I love the opening to it. Like I love yeah. um, this first part of this episode. I thought it was so great. Like because now it's that whole fun thing, you know. When we watch Revenge of the Sith, now it's like, oh man, Ahsoka's in the background somewhere. You know, it's that. It's like this is what's going on in the background. Like I loved, I loved that from Clone Wars season seven. Like getting, yeah, you know, getting more context, getting more context. Like of like when the scenes are cutting, like from the Jedi Council. Like I love when like shows add things into already existing properties like that just in the background because it it makes it a little more fun in my opinion um so it was cool getting that and then you know like you mentioned seeing like bail and her interact it's it's i like out of all the characters like anakin ahsoka of course ahsoka is consistent but i think the most consistent character or one of the most consistent characters like the disney star wars era has nailed is bail organa like his character has been consistent throughout, whether it be Kenobi, mm-hmm. whether whether it be this, whether it be Rebels, whether it be whatever. Like they've nailed his character to a T, and you know this is another example of it. Like I loved seeing him when, uh, you know, when he was getting like pushed to like leave that area they were in. You know, he was still being himself, going like, "Oh, if you if you ever need anything, just call me." Like you know, like. Like that whole like kind of talking <laughs> to Ahsoka with without yeah. them knowing like I love that. They're like okay, they're like what is going <laughs> on with this wacko? Like we get it, man. Yeah. Just let me take you back <laughs> I, to I where you belong. But yeah, so I was very excited to to tell you this. Um, in the voice message in our group chat is like, this is breaking new ground. This is the first time a Star Wars on screen. TV show movie has adapted a novel. And I thought they did a wonderful yep. job. They did a wonderful job. And it just, uh, we haven't talked about this yet. Just the fact that they're able to squeeze stories from beginning to end in 12 to 15 minutes and make it a complete story is fantastic. So this is basically takes a lot of um, inspiration from the Ahsoka novel written by E.K. Johnston in which Ahsoka, of course, leaves, um, flees from Order 66, ends up on this planet, this farming planet, becomes a mechanic, befriends some villagers, ends up basically getting beset upon by the Empire, fights an Inquisitor, steals the lightsabers, and then Bail Organa comes down and she joins the rebels after realizing that she cannot run anymore. It's just going to keep happening, keep happening. She's got to take a stand. So this episode, yeah, it condenses the story. Obviously, it's a it's a young adult novel, so it condenses a lot of things, but it gets the essence of the story, and it works. It works. It shows Ahsoka at one place, see the character development through the actions of what happens with the villagers, and she ends up different at the end of it. So, yeah, I thought that's so cool. Like uh, People have been wanting to see stuff like this for a while, and... Yeah, I yeah I, I I know you uh you were pretty uh, hyped about this Ben. Oh yeah, I loved absolutely. Well, I for for starters, I thought it was great news when you when you told us that because I didn't realize that because I haven't read that novel, and uh, you know for me, it's it's like twofold. Of course, like the episode I thought was or the short was really good. It was really really good. I I loved it actually. Um. But, like, to me, it opens up a lot of broader implications of potential storytelling of other Star Wars books now. Like, you know, maybe we get shorts from a certain point of view. Maybe we get shorts from Lost Stars. Maybe we get shorts from whatever, whatever it may be. Any, any of these books. Master and Apprentice. Like, something like that. Um, 
like maybe we get shorts from these things because you know it, it just opens up so many possibilities compared to just like having to come up with new stories you know i think you know you me and milton we've like banged the drum so many times like there's so many good stories in a lot all these books and things like why not turn them into shorts or episodes look we talked about it when um what was the book that came out a few months ago that was really popular with Luke and Lando? Oh, Shadow of the Sith. Oh, Shadow of the Sith. Boom. There you go. Why, why not Why not do a, a six-episode Shadow of the Sith little mini-series like this, like with shorts? Like, that would be great. Like, like stuff mm. like that. It gives me hope for more novel adaptations um, moving forward. And then, of course, like the episode as a whole, the, or the short as a whole with Ahsoka, like... Like, her going to the village, of course you knew she was going to get, like, busted somehow, or, you know, something was going to go down. And then, you know, since I, I didn't really know that direct story, it was, like, a surprise to me. And I just loved, loved the fight between her and the Inquisitor. Like, yeah. I thought it was so, like, poetic, like, awesome. It shows, like, her mastery of the Force as well. The fact that he had a lightsaber and she just, like, disarms him and kills him. Uh, with it, like, that was badass. Like, I, mm. I loved it. Like, I saw some people like, oh, the fight was short or whatever. But the thing is, you know, what What do you expect? Like, Ahsoka doesn't have a weapon. Like, the fight, you know, the fight can't go on too long if the guy's swinging a laser sword around. So, um, you know, it's great how they did it, like, cin cin uh, cinematically. And it reminded me a lot of the Kenobi and Maul fight. And of course, like oh, the Dave yeah. Filoni being involved, like mm -hmm. you, you know, what do you expect? Like, I, I just yeah. thought it was excellent. Like, I've rewatched that little fight, that little sequence, so many times. Like, I watched it when I was on the treadmill earlier today on YouTube. Just a little clip of it, like the little two minutes part of it, just because it's so cool. Like when the Inquisitor turns around, he's like, "Oh, it's you" or whatever, and she's mm -hmm. like standing there, and like it just, and like the visuals of it too, like the fire, like it just, it's it's incredible. Yeah, they put the whole budget of this series on his cape effects because, man, yeah, oh man. did you notice that too? Yeah, I remember from there was something with Filoni saying about a behind the scenes with Darth Vader and Twilight of the Apprentice in season two finale of Star Wars Rebels. That was like groundbreaking for them to put in animation for his like billowing cloak in the wind. And here we yep. have the the beautiful Inquisitor, and I just love his design. I love just the. The, the mask that he has is fantastic. When I first seen this, it looks almost like um, it looks almost like he's like somebody from the Old Republic. We have Dark Nerdy Gonzo chiming in. The Dooku episodes were the best ones. We'll talk about them next week, as I said. Ahsoka's were pretty solid. Loved the look of the new Inquisitor. Wish he lasted longer. Now, he's saying he died cheaply. I, I, here's where I'm going to differ. I'm going to disagree, Gonzo, because with the, this Inquisitor, we know a lot of these Inquisitors are previous Jedi. In fact, I think that's basically what they all are, is fallen Jedi. Soka's some of the best of the best Jedi around. She got trained by Darth Vader himself, Anakin Skywalker. I mean, so she's not no ordinary, just youngling. This this Jedi can kick serious butt. So I have no doubt that she was able to take this guy that was down, that take this guy down that was very confident. Oh, yeah, you know, here's this person with not even a lightsaber. This is going to be easy. And she just completely takes him off guard and kills him. I thought it was great. It was just like you said, the Obi-Wan, the old Ben versus Maul and Tatooine. Same vibes, same exact vibes. 
just seeing a Jedi disarm somebody, I don't know if we've ever seen something like that. I've never seen it. A Jedi went without anything and just killed the guy. Like, that was awesome. Well, see, that that's what, like, I was like, all right, how's Ahsoka going to get out of this? Like, is she going to use the Force and somehow, like, pull the lightsaber away from him or something? Like, I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what she's going to do. And then when she disarmed him and killed him, like, it literally was a moment where I was, I was just like, I, you know, I openly was like, whoa. Like, I literally said that out loud because it just surprised me. Yeah. Um, and, like, for me, for me, I just don't think it was, like, I am, of course, you know, everything's subjective, but, like, I don't think it was, like, cheap per se because it's, like, I don't know. I, like I said, I just think it kind of was, like, poetic. It kind of, like, I would say if you look at, like, her whole arc, like, that, like, is, like, the cherry on top. Like, she's, like, a full-blown master, like, at this point. Like, this was, like, her trial. Like, her Luke beating the Emperor Invader type trial. Like, this was her, like, final hurrah, maybe. Um, to, like, be stepping over into, like, that master range of things. And, like, to me as well, when it comes to, like, the Inquisitors, like, we all have to remember, like, when it comes to them, for the most part, they're not, like, the most skilled group of people. Like, you know, a lot of times when we, when we see Inquisitors, whether it be in Rebels or Kenobi, for that matter, or anything, like, they're normally just kind of beating up regular people. They're not beating up, like, full-blown Jedi Knights. Um, and then when we've seen them face, like, the full-blown, like, Masters, I mean, mm-hmm. look, Ahsoka handles them with ease in Rebels. And then even Darth Maul. Like, when Darth Maul faces them, yeah. like, he just goes through them like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, it's, to me, it's, like, when we, when we look at Inquisitors, we just have to, like, really, like, realize they're not, you know, like, say if you have, like, Ahsoka and Darth Maul and those type of people, like, they're, like, the A-level, I would yep. say, of skilled, and, like, the Inquisitors are probably, like, D-level. They're probably, like, three mm-hmm. levels down from them, you know? Like, yeah. you, like you're, 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 you're a few steps removed. So, like, I think that's why there's always a discrepancy, because I had a good discussion about this, actually, with one of my friends, like, when it comes to the whole Inquisitor thing, even look at the Kenobi series. Like, Kenobi didn't fight, like, Reva or the Inquisitors. But if, if Kenobi was fully powered, you know, like, like, like how he is by the end of the series, he could have easily taken out those Inquisitors. Like, that mm-hmm. probably would have been no problem. Like, it's just... It's just... Like, to me, I, I think the Inquisitors are more bark than bite. You know. Oh yeah, they are very much uh, for fear, the, the fear in their eyes, and yeah, yes. And, and and I don't know what it was like about this Inquisitor, but to me, he gave off a lot of uh, like I've seen pictures of the one dude, like it kind of gave off vibes of, like that Lord Moman guy I saw from like comics or something. Oh yeah, yeah, the mask definitely that, reminiscent of that guy. Yeah, that that's instantly what my mind went to was like, man, this looks like that Lord Moment dude. Yeah, I don't know if like that mask maybe maybe that mask is like a Sith Lord mask that he yeah. somehow found, like from like the old Republic, because it definitely gives me gives me those vibes. Something that was a little bit deeper on this episode, which I like. When we get to take those slow moments, even in a short, they had a slow moment around a campfire where you have two of these villagers just kind of having a disagreement or a discussion is probably the better word of like this one character is all about like the empire is good like the emperor's doing the right thing we're we're getting security and all this sort of thing 
And then there's the person on the other side saying like, no, there's too much control is a bad thing and things are only going to get worse. So uh, in a sh simple short, they were still able to um, conceptualize and, and contextualize like the whole idea of like the empire and what they stand for the everyday man. So I got to applaud Filoni for being able to put that in this short episode. Oh, yeah, that's an important thing. Um you know, I, I think we pulled out of this episode and even, you know, we kind of get a bit of it like through the Andor series because like, you know, for a lot of Star Wars, we've always viewed the Empire as bad guys, like straight up bad guys. That's it. You know, black and white. And like, you know, you, me and Milton, we've talked about it before. Like there are people, there are plenty of people in the galaxy that support this Imperial government. Like, you know, so it's like, it's no surprise I guess it's a surprise when we actually see it or see some type of support for it because the Empire is always painted in a bad guy light. And, like, now we're actually, like, hearing characters verbally, like, talk about, like, you know, their support for the Empire, like, which I think is, it's needed because then it kind of blurs the lines a little bit more. It, like, humanizes them more. Like, I mean, you can only humanize the Empire so much, but you know what I mean, where it's not just a straight-up big bad guy at the end of the mission type thing. Like, it humanizes them a bit more because then it's like, oh, I kind of see where, like, these local civilians are coming, where they're coming from. Yeah. Because, you know, you gotta, you gotta think about it, like, from, like, our perspective. Like, say, for example, like, if we're living in the galaxy, like, for example, even, say, uh, like, let's, let's talk about, like, say, Andor. Like, the whole thing that happened on Aldani, like, that whole thing, what if you lived in, like, a village right next to, like, that entire thing? You'd be, like, scared to death, like, holy smokes, like, like, all this stuff's going down, like, yeah, we want the Imperial security, like, we don't want to be, like, left out for these potential, like, rebels to come in here and go crazy on us. So, like, mm -hmm. to me, um, you know, I like that they're blurring the lines a little bit in terms of whether it be this series or Andor, they're blurring the lines a little bit on the Empire versus them just being straight up bad guys. Oh, yeah. So, so good all around. As much as I enjoyed this episode, I do realize that there is a little bit of uh, people that disrupt them a little bit the wrong way. And what I mean by that is there is uh, people that think I don't personally agree with this. They think that yeah. they completely screwed up the book and they retconned all this and that. And I'm, well, I understand, yeah, certain characters, um, uh, to my to my understanding, there's certain characters, uh, a character that was gay, I believe, or part of the LBGTQ community um, that respect um, that was left out of this if you, adaptation, if you will, of the show. And well, I will say about that is, yeah, I can, you know, I understand where they're coming from. Like there's representation for them that is now missing. But what I say is. Dave Filoni had, like, here's, the whole idea is Dave Filoni originally had the idea for this episode. He didn't think he would ever get a chance to make it, so he gave that story to the publisher who picked an author, E.K. Johnson, to basically adapt his treatment for what he expected Ahsoka to do next. So she did that. She put her story together, put it out. People, of course, read it, loved it. And now we have Dave Filoni getting the opportunity to to create his original his original vision. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he if he read the book, had somebody give him the Cliff Notes version. But I'm just speculating here. Maybe he just 
kind of did what he originally had in his mind and just put it to put it to the screen. The fact that it's only 15 minutes long, um, you can't really have a lot of time for any for any other like real character deep dives other than Ahsoka. Sure, they could have had some kind of uh, you know reference to that character. The thing was that people really it rubbed them the wrong way is the fact that all these characters that were similar to what were in the book were unnamed. If you go to the credits, it'll just be called like Farmer 1 or Farmer 2, where clearly they should have been this character or that character. Uh, even the Inquisitor was never named. It was supposed to be probably the sixth brother, but that's never acknowledged in the credits. So people are looking at this as a blatant retcon that Dave Filoni went in and he just kind of swung his power around and said this is my story i'm making it how i want it and people are not happy and i can understand i can understand if people are really attached to a story they're seeing it come to the screen uh and, and another thing that is happening here is is they're starting to look at dave filoni as uh, somebody that's not taking their best interests at heart um what i mean by that is in bad batch episode one there was a little bit different of a storyline with Kanan. Now, it ended up the same way. Kanan's master died from the clones. It wasn't the exact clones that killed in, in his comic, uh, in the comic there for Kanan, but it was a little different. But the, the, the journey ends up the same. Kanan didn't die at that oh. moment. He survived, and he goes on. So what I think is happening now is we're people are really beholden by the idea that Lucasfilm originally in 2014 said everything's in one canon. Your novels, your comics, everything relies upon each other. Nothing oversteps another. Now that we're having different creators in different mediums taking elements from certain things, putting their own flair on it, people are mad that not every single detail is in there. Every single detail that they're hanging on is not in there. And for me, personally, some of this stuff um, seems like it's a little bit like a nitpick sometimes. But I get it. I understand where they're coming from. It's just, I think going forward, people have to understand that if this happens again, just know that I'm happy with the story just because it's simply Ahsoka's getting the same plot that she got in the book. The same character development, the same character journey is just abbreviated. So not all the details are there. And if you want to headcanon it saying, oh yeah, that character was still there, go ahead, no one's stopping you. But Filoni had the... The spotlight focused here, whereas in these other spots, it wasn't aiming there. Not saying it didn't happen, but again, you can take this however you want it. People maybe headcanon it if you want, um, or you can look at this as a story where people were orally giving it to one another. And this is the perspective of the story from this one person and this other perspective of this person. It's the same event, just... It's like playing the telephone game. Somebody said this happened here, then you get to the phone, the next person, three people down, said it's slightly different this way. The gist of the story is the same, it's just the little details get changed around a little bit. Um, you know, it's not, an easy, it's not an easy topic, especially when it comes down to representation for, for, for people out there that are gripping to a character that is no longer there. And I do, again, I understand where people are coming from, but this is what happened and this is what we're dealing with it's there's nothing i can say that's going to make people feel better about this but i'm just giving my own two cents on 
what I personally think. And as a story, I really like the story. I was excited that they adapted something that I thought at the time was really good. And not until somebody brought up the character was missing did I actually say, oh, yeah, like I, that, that could be a problem. That could be a problem. And, and hopefully they address that and are a little bit more sensitive, Lucasfilm, going forward about if there is something that's going to have an impact on certain members of the community. Maybe they should have taken more care with it. But what about you, Ben? Oh, boy. When it comes to canon, that's a, that's a tricky discussion. I mean, we've, we've talked about it before. This issue, like the canon, canon discussion got brought up during Bad Batch, of course, as you mentioned. Um, and, like, that was kind of my take back then, was the whole... I think we have to realize that, like, maybe some of these stories... Like, like this is how I, like... I mean, in my, like, headcanon, my... my my, I guess, justification for some of the some of the differences in stories, whether it be comics, books, movies, shows, video games, etc. Like the story we're seeing, like we're not watching straight up reality on any of these stories. Like no matter any of them, whether it be Force Awakens, Last Jedi, um, whatever, um, or any of these any of these shows, I think we're like witnessing. St- stories being told maybe from people in the galaxy. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. people that that witnessed these events. Like, like the stories of The Last Jedi, for example. Like, it was from, you know, random people that, you know, told about this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And that's what, that's what we end up seeing on screen. So, like, I feel like that's kind of, like, how I justify some of, like, maybe inconsistencies between things. I just feel like it's, like, you know, it's different stories being told by different storytellers in-universe and of course, out of universe, as you mentioned, the uh, the um, the differences between the book and this—it's Filoni and E.K. Johnson. So it's two totally different creators. Obviously, Johnson had the the short treatment from Filoni for the book, but the thing is, to me, um, it it just comes down to stories being told from different perspectives, and then. In terms of like the uh, representation uh, matter um, of the character not being in that sequence, like like you mentioned, you know, it's it's great to have representation of like the LGBTQ community or like minorities in general, whether it be like African American or Polynesian or you know whatever it may be, like it's or women. It's great to have like representation, but when it comes to a situation like this. I feel like it would be it would be more uh, of course like I can't speak too like authoritatively because I'm not a part of those uh, listed communities in terms of like I, I'm not that like but I think when it comes to it you know we have to realize like for one the story that was being told that episode was like 14 minutes long so there's not even enough time to develop even the Inquisitor. Look, we, we were with the Inquisitor how long? Two minutes? Three minutes? Like, mm-hmm. we didn't even have enough time to even realize who that Inquisitor was. Much less another side character that Ahsoka, you know, that isn't like, that isn't, um, you know, in the main gist of the story with Ahsoka for this episode. Like, the character may be more involved in the books, which, in the book, which is great, but for this specific version of the story being told, like, like, to me, 
like when you go into this episode, like you're going into it watching for the character of Ahsoka. You're not going like like the story is meant to be for Ahsoka. It's not meant to be for any of the other characters. The other characters, in my opinion, I mean, this is even even with the Count Dooku stuff. All of the stuff, like even in the Count Dooku episodes, that's meant to like pump up Count Dooku more. Like it's 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 supposed to shine the spotlight on Dooku. No one else. Like like the other characters are ancillary characters throughout that. Even even the bigger characters that we see in the Dooku episodes. Even with this this uh, whole Ahsoka arc, all three of these episodes. Sure, we mentioned Anakin and Obi Wan. Sure, we mentioned her mother and stuff. But the gist of these arcs are for Dooku, are for Ahsoka. It's not meant for any other character. Like, because to me, um, part of the issue as well that comes up when, like, we get into, like, a deeper discussion about this sort of stuff is, like, would have there still been an issue if, like, for example, say that character, that um, the LGBT, LGBT character was in this episode... But what if the character only had one line? Would have that been an issue that they only were only had one line versus being a pivotal part of the episode? Then you know you get into that whole discussion. So like, to me, I think there's a lot of um, gray area when it comes to balance when with this sort of stuff. And then you know, as I mentioned, at the end of the day, like the story is about Ahsoka. It's not about any of the other characters. The other characters are meant to support the lead which is ahsoka in this instance yeah yeah you only have you only have so much time and you know what's not to say that this character isn't off screen somewhere it's a village they could have somebody around the corner you don't know and i think that's probably why they specifically feloni to specifically didn't name the characters is to make it like we were saying before this is like an alternate history or not an alternate history but like this is a story that might or may or might not be like the one you've read before. So there's got to well, be. Well, here's the thing, Chris. What, I mean, what if, what if this story is getting told from that character, that character that we're talking about? What if, what if that character is the one telling this story about this Jedi that comes to their village and you know all this sort of stuff? Like that's the thing. Like we don't know. Like we just a lot of people, you know, like 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 want to like you know jump into it instantly. But to me, it's like, maybe this is the char the characters telling the story, for example. Like, you never know with Star Wars. Like, I mean, heck, going back to the original trilogy, George Lucas, like, if you look up Lucas's early processes for Star Wars, like, look at his, like, early, early scripts when it mm -hmm. when Luke was even called Starkiller. Like, the story was getting told. Like, the galactic story, like, what we see, for example, like, the opening crawl, all of that is like the Wills, the Wills characters, like the actual Wills beings writing writing the story of Star Wars like in a book. So like the thing is, like the whole genesis of Star Wars comes from characters telling these stories. So like that's my thing. I think I'll, everything we're witnessing in Star Wars is someone telling the story. We're not actually witnessing the reality of what maybe 1,000% happened. Hmm. So... There's what's happening with a little bit of a little bit of discussions going on online. I'm just looking mainly at Twitter, actually Facebook a little bit too. Um, yep. So, so hopefully, uh, you know, in the future, Lucasfilm will be able to glean more about their their creative process of how this went down, 
be very curious to see about that. But I guess what we'll do is we'll give our score out of 10 for just the Ahsoka side of the of the shorts. I'll go ahead and give them I'll give them an 8.5 out of 10. I will say all around really enjoyed them. The cinema the, the cinematics, everything, the CGI was incredible. The, the animation was incredible. Picks up with Bad Batch looked fantastic. Music was great. Um, what, what brought the score down for me was that second episode, uh, Practice Makes Perfect. I feel like it was just a little bit too surface level. It felt like it was just me to answer like a very simple question of like, oh, how did Ahsoka survive the clones? Like, uh, we're going to make a whole short about this, you know? So it felt like it was just a little bit unnecessary. Like you could have just used your head for to figure that one out kind of thing. But I mean, it's more Star Wars to watch, which is a great thing. And uh, as we just spent a while on, I, I I really dug that Lucasfilm did an adaptation of a novel that I think personally I think it it worked for me. And it's not going to work for everybody, but it worked for me. And seeing the darkness, seeing the beginning of Ahsoka, and seeing her through the different times is just a really cool thing. So eight point five out of ten for me. Nice. That's a good evaluation for me. I think all three episodes were really good. I really enjoyed a lot about the first one, you know, the lessons and principles Ahsoka learned. I thought were done really well in it. I really do. I don't know what it is. I just love the tiger sound in Star Wars. I just I just love that they use a tiger like growl. Like I don't know. I always think the tiger the tiger growl or snarl is always one of the coolest noises in general. So like it's cool that they have that in there. Um, and then when it comes to the second episode, I thought that was. See, I kind of was like a little bit more different than you on it. Like my my um, assessment of it, like I thought it was really, really good actually, because like I didn't think of it from like the point of view of like it answering a question. Like, see, I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, cool. This is connecting to the end of Clone Wars season seven. Like I thought of it from that light, like, you know, like I thought of it more of like, and excitement, like, I didn't think of it, you know, as in, like, answering a question. So, like, I had actually no problem with that. Okay. Um, so, like, that was kind of, like, my, that was, like, my first initial reaction. You know, I can 100% see where you're coming from, like, oh, they might just be answering, like, a little, you know, a little teeny Twitter question somebody tweeted in or something. Mm -hmm. And was like, hey, how does Ahsoka know how to do this? And they're like, oh, here's a story. Um, so, I can see where you're coming from with that, but for me, I thought it was was totally fine i thought it was pretty cool and then the the final episode i thought was the best of the three though mm -hmm. by far just because you know all, everything that we just discussed like you know seeing ahsoka's journey going from like her being a baby to basically a full-grown master i would say at that point like getting to see that character arc i thought was done really well surprising a lot because if you think about it that was only maybe 40, 40, 40, 45 minutes max of screen time. And we basically get her full character arc from baby to master. Like, I thought yeah. that was done really well. And then, yeah. of course, the whole fight between her and the Inquisitor. I just thought, like I said, I watched it a few times already this week because it's so dang good. So dang good. I just love it. Like, man, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want to, like, start, like, you know, we just now got a novel adapted. But, man, I'm like... I want to see that live action. How cool would that be to see that that same Ooh. sequence in like a two minute live action sequence? Yeah. Like, man, that would be awesome. Holy smokes! <laughs> um, but like for me, I would say like like I texted you guys in the group chat. Like, 
this series, I mean, it'll spoil my my sequence for my rating for next week for Dooku, but I think this is all 10 out of 10. Like, I don't think there's, like, anything... Like, to me, there's no, like, parts of it I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I, th- I think it was just 10 out of 10, and it's, like, it's the most, like, excited I've felt about Star Wars content in some time. Honestly, like, it just... I had a good time with it. I didn't go in with, like, any, like, expectations, like you know, uh, like other things. And I just, just had a really good time with it. Like to me, it was a 10 out of 10. And I really hope, you know, as we're wrapping the tales of the Jedi discussion, I really hope this, this is my pitch, uh, Dave Filoni, if you're listening at this point in the podcast, um, (laughs) next season, don't, don't do Jedi, make it say season two, bum, 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 tales of the Sith. And then do, do two featured Sith. And maybe, I don't know, do like young Darth Maul and young, I, I don't know whoever else young Palpatine. I mean, heck you, you could do that, but like mm. I would love to see them go into a tales of the Sith and then season three tales, of the Jedi and just kind of alternate it because the good thing with this is, as you mentioned, Chris, like with this just being kind of like Dave Filoni's almost pet project, like he could just do this in his free time between his live action shows, you know, like he could just do this. Hey, when I have free time over a month or two, you know, here and there, write out some treatments for these shows and whatnot and go from there. Like this could just be an indefinite like series because there's plenty of characters they could continue to do this about. Oh yeah. I like your idea with uh, making a different theme every year and base it upon yep. different eras because this one specifically yep. says in the description, it's based in the prequel era. Let's get some yep. original trilogy. Heck let's get some sequel trilogy, make it almost like Clone Wars, start bridging that gap, start buffing up the character motivations in the sequel trilogy. Uh, get our Ben Solo, get our Luke Skywalker, Ben Solo stories, right? Get all that stuff yeah. there. Cause that's going to make a huge difference. And there's so much, so much to go. And we'll have so much more to say next week, but believe it or not, uh, the show's not over. We have a whole nother episode to talk about. If you're joining us <laughs> now on the podcast, we have just talked about the first three shorts uh, out of six shorts, uh, the, the Ahsoka shorts themselves. Now we're diving into Andor Season 1, Episode 8, titled Narcana 5. In this one, we have what looks like the brand new of, a, of another three-episode arc. We see that Andor gets transported to Narcana 5, a brand new, or not brand new, but like a new prison that we haven't seen in Star Wars before. Penal colony, whatever you want to call it. Manufacturing, that prisoners are working on this stuff. We have what's happening on Ferrix. We have Marva, who is apparently already starting to rebel in her own ways. And we have the spies of Cinta and Vel out on the lookout for Andor. And we have the coming together of different factions. We have Cyril Karn and Dedra Mira. She's asking information now that she has control of the Ferrix sector and investigating Andor. And of course, we have Mon Mothma with some more fancy soirees. She's throwing out her place, uh, getting more support and learning more about what's going on with the politics. And finally, we have Luthen meeting with Saul Guerrera, trying to recruit him into the wider scope of the what will eventually be the Rebel Alliance. So a lot to break down on this episode. I think we'll just start off with the title character himself with Andor. First off, though, what'd you think about this episode, Ben? Right off the top. Yeah, I mean, all right, I can say I went into it at first with a little bit of negative thinking because, like, I saw a lot of people, even people who really like this series so far, 
I uh, I saw a lot of people going into it. Like I have a good I have a good friend who thinks it's like the best thing since sliced bread. This entire series, which is awesome, and he he even was like, man, this is kind of slow. I don't I don't know how I liked it. Blah blah blah. You'll just have to wait and see. So I went into it kind of thinking, oh man, you know, someone who really likes the show doesn't like this episode. What am I gonna think? Since I've been kind of kind of mid mid tier on this show. But I watched it. I really enjoyed the episode, actually. Surprisingly, like I, um, I surprised myself about it actually because I, I wasn't thinking I was going to, based on like some like like I said other people's influences. But I really enjoyed it. Like I liked seeing Cassian's um, like like working place he was at. Like how they how like the Imperial punishment was like being done. I thought it was interesting. There were some little tidbits people might have um, missed over or glossed over during the episode, like, I don't know, when he was getting introduced to all of his co-workers and stuff, like, did you notice his boss said, like, he, like, all this stuff has to go smoothly because he's in there too, like, the boss isn't, the boss is a prisoner as well, he's not oh, an yeah. imperial worker, like, I thought that was a nice little detail, I was like, oh, that's cool, um, I thought that was neat, um, um, like, you know, based on, like, the whole, like, frying thing and all that sort of stuff. You know, Cassian's probably going to befriend some of these people, and then someone's going to get taken out, I feel like, most likely. And then, um, yeah, like, I thought that was done really well. And then, for me, you know, like you said, seeing Mon Mothma and, like, her whole thing that she has going on there, like, I, I uh, you know, you always like her character and, like, the, the development of or like getting more and more involved in the empire or um, the rebels, and then you know, like you mentioned, having Luthen meet Saul, I thought that was very, very well done. I was I was surprised because I can one hundred percent say my my only or one of my main critiques over Rogue One is I just don't like Saul Guerrero in that movie. Like I know I'm in the minority of people who don't, but I just think he's like way too cartoony in Rogue One. <laughs> but in this, in this, and this, I'm so glad they made him, like, normal. Like, he's not, like, full-blown crazy yet. So, uh, I really do like that. I was, like, half expecting, like, the Borgullet thing to come out or something. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that didn't happen. So I really liked his character a lot. Um, and yeah, for me, I, I enjoyed this episode. I didn't mind it. Heck yeah! So let's talk about this this location of Narcana or Narkina Five, however you pronounce it. It was intense. Like this episode was intense. Like I felt like I was going to prison. They really yep. sold me on that idea of like the confusion. One minute Andor is you know just chilling. Next thing you know he's getting shepherded onto these transports. I don't know if you caught it, but one of them was going to Bell Savis. Bell Savis, I've been there many times. Bell Savis is a prison planet that was mm. in the old Republic video game. You go to Bell Savis, oh, you have cool. all the all the criminals are there. You, you, you take down a bunch of criminal gangs that broke out of the prison. It's like, oh my gosh, we were so close to going to Bell Savis in live action. That would have been so cool. But yeah, everything from the moment they get there. And then they have these... And we keep seeing this. I don't know. Are those Imperial? Like, is this factory an Imperial factory? Or is it like the Imperials brought these guys to like a third party? Kind of like Merlana 1 was in cahoots with their security guys, Kirosan, 
uh, Cyril Karn was in cahoots with the Empire, but they weren't really the Empire. Is this what's happening, or is this like an actual Imperial manufacturing? Because like when those guys walked up with those like sneakers on, I was like, first off, like what's with that costume? <laughs> and second off, what's going on? I have to I have to go back and watch it. I don't know if they had like Imperial logos on or what. Yeah, I think. I mean, like you said, I I was thinking it was like a contracted workplace. Like I, I didn't yeah. I didn't think this was straight up I don't think this was imperial territory. Like of course everything's imperial territory technically, but you know what I mean? I don't think this was really being overseen by like the direct empire. I mean I mean heck, I you you don't really see it or you really I really don't think it is just because like sure Cassian's not directly named Cassian Andor in this exact instance, but I would feel like if it was, like there would have been like facial scan things or something like because the empire as we know when we get into the other stuff with um maria and cyril karn like he's not like he cassian's still technically on the run in their eyes so like even though they don't even realize they have him captured so to me i think it's like a third party location yeah yeah and they sell you on it too because it's like He's screwed. I mean, you see the outside. It's, it reminded me of the raft from the Marvel movies. It's their prison where it's in the middle of the ocean. It submerges yep. under there. You're, you're screwed. Once you're in there, you're, you're never getting out again. And even one of the inmates was like, hey, just enjoy your last look at the sun because you're never going to see that until you're out. And yep. it was a really good representation of a prison system slash factory workplace in the Star Wars universe. Now, you mentioned the boss. Now, is there anything you want to mention about the boss specifically? I mean, he looked really familiar. I know that. Like, I don't know. The actor that played him, I think, looked familiar. But I think the boss specifically, I mean, he's a prisoner too. Like, that's, that's, he's a prisoner um, as well anyways, I think. I mean, the way he talked, like, he said, he was like, you got to. Or, you know, I only have 247 days or whatever he said left in my sentence. Blah, blah, blah. Wow. Like, I don't know. Am I missing something? <laughs> I'm about to blow your mind. That was Andy Circus. Really? Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I knew he, his voice sounded familiar. I was like, waiting for you to say something. You're like the boss. And I'm like, you, you said it like you didn't know who he was. <laughs> I had to make sure you know that's Andy Circus. Oh, I knew, right, I knew right away. I was like, I sat up in my cell. Wait, that's that's Andy Circus. You know, I did the whole you know, DiCaprio meme. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Like, this was a I guy that was playing Snoke. I don't know if we've gotten that in Star Wars before, where it's like they play like the the the, the CGI character. Well, actually, they, we did. Luke Skywalker voices a character or two in Star Wars. Yeah, it's, but this is cool still. I mean, Andy Serkis getting time. And he's not some side character. Like, I'm assuming that this guy's going to persist for the rest of this so-called arc since he's, like, the one in charge, you know? Oh, yeah. I think... I feel like with his character, um... I don't know. I, I could see something... Him befriending Cassian, like oh yeah, at some at some point he he's one hundred percent gonna befriend Cassian, like because he's gonna be like oh man this guy's being productive blah 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 you know like they're gonna get like friendly, but yeah see I knew I knew there was something up with that boss though because I was like man he looks so familiar and I even paused it here's the funny part too I even paused it I was like is that Timothy Oliphant that's what I, at first I thought I was like no that's not him I was like I don't know who that is but he looks familiar. 
Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, uh, I really, I think, I think his character is going to be an interesting one um, because he's for sure going to be involved uh, to some degree. I mean, maybe even potentially, like, like I could see something going along the lines of like, it's going to be kind of, um, kind of like the one dude from, uh, kind of like Hux. I could see him being kind of like Hux, where he's like, "Hey, I'll let you break out, but knock me out or something first type deal, you know, something like that. Um, like I could see something along those lines happen, just because. He's definitely going to be Frank Cassian, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these guys again because Gonzo's chiming in saying that it definitely appears like I'm looking at the dude's hats and they have like the same hat that Pete wears. Like it's like the little metal thing mm. on the cap there. But here's another thing. I don't know if you picked this up. Another little Easter egg here. One of the people that's on that work team is a character from Rogue One. It's one of the one of the strike team leaders of Melchi. All right, I thought I recognized that that, yeah. that character. I yeah, I thought I recognized that character. I just can't believe I didn't recognize Andy Circus. It was yeah. I was like, wait, I had to do a double take. Like, wait, that's actually him. Like, and he's actually got like a a pretty good role. Now, yeah. I just like how it's. I mean. It might be argument of a negative for this episode where it's like, okay, they cut back to this prison thing like too many times. Like they're spending like too much screen time on just showing the doldrums. And it's like they're drilling it into us like so hard that we're like we're feeling like it's we're being overcome almost by like this whole ordeal that Andor. There's, there's quite a bit of time jumps. Like at one point, I think it's like a month and another month goes by. So there's a lot of momentum as far as we're telling this story here now i had some ideas that i don't know if you thought about this at all about maybe these are components of the death star what happens if this is how andor gets on the trail that there is some super weapon being made he doesn't obviously flat out know what it is but he knows the empire is building something big and this is going to propel him to somehow get into cahoots with saul guerrera who will then also have that that big trek and journey throughout the galaxy as we know where he goes crazy trying to figure out about it so did you think that this could be also linked to the death star what these x component things that they're making are um i mean i would say probably or like it's i feel like it's it'd probably be trending in that direction because you know what else would they be working on at this time mm -hmm, like it's mm -hmm. got to be it's got it's got to be like to me just like you know putting the dots together it's got to be part of the death like different parts of the death star um and yeah like it's it, you know you have so many people working on it because you heard uh andy circus say like we're like 52 a for like morning shift so obviously mm -hmm. there's like a 52 like p for like probably pm night shift or whatever and oh. the thing is when he when he says fifty two, that means there's like fifty one other levels probably below that, or like you know fifty one other um, things. So like this is a huge operation they're involved mm -hmm. in. It's um, mm -hmm. so like to me, it's it's got to be like Death Star related most likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, it's gonna it's gonna fuel some of like Cassian's speculation as to like like you said, he may not he's not gonna know Death Star, but he's gonna know something. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and and the Dark Dirty Gods was calling something else I was going to pull out. There's a lot of uh, symmetry and kind of uh, this is almost like similar to that uh, THX 1138. I feel like that this whole segment is a love letter to TH 1138. I've never watched the movie personally, but I've seen a plenty of like scenes and behind the scenes stuff in Star Wars documentaries. You know, like this is George Lucas's first like film he made. And it's all yep. stark white in a prison, basically. This guy trying to get out, as I recall, is what it is. And it's like, all oh, the soldiers are just very much like almost like robots. And it's just very monochrome in design. And yeah, so I think this whole segment is just clearly an homage to that, which is neat. Oh, for sure. Like, actually, that's some, something that I felt felt when, when I was watching it. I was like, man, this kind of reminds me of, of THX 1138. Like, that that vibe, that's literally literally like one of the vibes i got from it and also another little thing i got out of it too i thought that was interesting again humanizing the empire more like the fact when they were showing cassian around they're like oh hey eat as like eat as much as you want drink as much as you want from this thing because like they don't want you to be like not a good worker basically um so like i i was surprised because i was like oh man are we gonna get like some Cassian like starving type sequences or something because I, I got a little nervous because to me that whole trope in movies like in prison starving like it's just gotten so old I I'm sick of seeing it honestly because it's just so cliche so it's nice that they didn't do that for this sequence actually because that means mm -hmm. we're not going to waste time on him scrounging around for food or something um, <laughs> so it was good that they kept it moving, didn't worry about that. Um, and then just, like, some of the other, like, little details throughout the episode, like, 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 uh, Gonzo mentioned, I believe, like you said, like, the symmetry in the episodes, you know, because it was, like, what, seven, 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 like, seven tables, oh, yeah. seven people, uh, and so on and so on. <laughs> Let's switch it up to another character, and that's Cyril Karn and Deidre Miro. So... The last episode, we got a lot of like the table setting uh, plot lines as we're getting characters reacting to Aldani, but also looking ahead to the future. And here we're having one of our first big collision courses of main characters that we've been following. And I, yeah, I assume this was happening. It's pretty kind of uh, easy to predict that these characters were eventually going to come into contact with one another. And it didn't go the way I thought. And I thought she would break down and Deidre would just be like, okay, you're pestering me enough. Come with me. But she just straight up says, no, like, I got stuff I got to do. You're crazy. I just want you for information. You're not helpful. I'm out of here. And here, this is his one lifeline. Like, this is his lifeline to get that chance of being something. He needs that recognition. He wants that validity of getting that what he deserves. So how'd you feel about this whole sequence with just the, these two characters here and what's happening with Cyril Karn and his nice Star Wars suit? <laughs> well, luckily for Milton's sake, he didn't stare at the camera too much during this episode. But uh, mm. but no, for, for real. I uh, I thought it was a pretty good sequence, honestly, uh, like with her and him. Uh, she's definitely one of my favorite characters of the series. Like, I know she's not a main character. Like, she's definitely one of my favorite side characters, I would say. Um, I think they've really developed her well. Um, and then, you know, just like you said, her whole relationship with him, I, I assumed the same thing you did as well. Like, I thought it was just going to go, 
you know, she's she's reached her breaking point with him. Just come along. Let's just let's let's see what you got to do, and you know, you can join us type deal. I thought that's how it was going to go down, um, but I was glad it didn't um, specifically go that way. Just because it's like, again, talk about tropes like the starving prison thing. Like again, like that's a typical thing of like, oh. You know, pester, pester, pester. Okay, main character breaks because they're getting pestered by someone. Like, uh-huh. I'm glad. I'm glad that didn't go that direction exactly. Um, and I thought they did a good job with his screen time in this episode because, you know, as we, as we mentioned, like, don't get me wrong. Um, some people may have enjoyed like the stuff with him so far, but some of the scenes, like from my my taste, anyways, have felt like they've like lingered too much with him. Um, in the past on prior episodes so it's nice like they kept these ones you know to to a point they edited them pretty well and uh yeah i just thought it was uh done pretty well but it's gonna push his character forward even more i would say to like really get on like the cassian hunt and to me it's interesting because like like we have to be getting him interacting with Cassian face to face at some point, right? Like, oh, yeah. like we got we got to get the moment of him going, "Hey, it's you! Get back here! Like I recognize you!" Blah blah blah. Like you know, it, it's got to be that we got to be getting that type of type of deal, um, because if not, then I don't know what his story's about. But <laughs> we got to get him interacting with Cassian at some point. I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't know why he would go to that factory, but maybe he goes there for something i i don't even know but like he's got to interact his story like this whole sequence with um her it's it's got to be just to push him closer to cassian i would say yeah it's it's gonna get him there eventually what about mon mothma scene now what i what i take from this is her daughter lita seems like she's i don't know maybe she's part of the empire honestly like maybe she's she seems like she's too snoopy, you know? She's, like, always, like, wondering what's going on, what's going on. She might be betraying her own mother, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, like, of course it's the whole, we didn't see her in the other movies or even Rebels or anything. But, again, like, the easy answer for that is they could just be on a different planet living undercover or something. You know, like, that's the easy logical answer. But then, again, the Star Wars fan answer in us is, like, maybe, maybe she could be part of the Empire... Like, because if you, or, you know, if you, heck, look at it from, like, what we just went over with Ahsoka. We had that kid in the village, or that person in the village supporting the Empire, blah, blah, blah. What if, what if her daughter, like, isn't an Imperial agent, per se? Like, what if she's just, like, ends up being an Imperial supporter? And, like, you know, then it's going to add an extra layer to Mon Mothma, because... I could easily see us getting into a conversation uh, or a, a situation where, you know, Mon Moth, like we get another rebel activity thing on the news and like Mon Moth was like not saying anything, just observing it, being like, oh, this is good, thinking to herself. And then you have her daughter like openly say like, oh, oh man, the Empire needs to crush those rebels, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, I could see her daughter being like a, supp- a big supporter potentially because like you said, she seems so snooty and snoopy. Like she's always asking, like, "What are you talking about? What are you doing? What are, you yeah. know, like, like that sort of stuff." So it's like there's got to be something there because, like we just said with Cyril Karn and Cassian, there. 
I mean, again, it could just be a side character. But I feel like there's going to be some type of a payoff, whether it be a little one or a big one, with Mon Mothma and her daughter. Because we keep getting these scenes with her and her daughter, her and her daughter, her and her mm-hmm. daughter. Like, there's got to be something building in the background, I would say. Yeah, what do you think about... See, because for this scene, you know, since I've only watched this episode once, I guess maybe it didn't leave enough of an impact. Like, I'm still <laughs> trying to think back of what actually was done with the the whole politics conversations in this episode because i guess i didn't it didn't leave much of an impact for me but i'm trying to remember what headway was gained here so i had just i actually watched the episode this morning um yeah i watched it this morning so it was fresh um like basically they're just talking she's talking to one dude about um the basically how can i explain it it's like the empire the Empire is mega monitoring the bank accounts. Mm-hmm. So basically, and she's basically saying, I think she said she needed three or 400,000 more. And he basically is like, hey, Empire, the Empire is really monitoring bank accounts. And she's like, well, can we do this before like that security protocol is like put into place? Like she's basically oh, yeah. saying like, can we rush this money transfer before the Empire starts like monitoring your bank mm-hmm. account, basically mm-hmm. uh, type deal. So it's basically that is like the gist of the conversation. It's it's revolving around basically more funding okay. and basically, you know, and establishing more of the whole she's being watched more, her bank accounts are getting watched, like, you know, she's, you know, more and more like, like, you know, she's getting looked at more, basically. Sure. So taking a trip over to Ferrex now, we got more characters coming together. We have Marva interacting with Bix. And then you have the other big dude that's a friend of Andor. I'm not really sure what his name was. The guy that worked in, you know, on the fields there, breaking yeah. down salvage. But yeah, there it goes. Like, Marva wasn't kidding. Like, she's already making a fuss and getting in trouble. So it's the effects yeah. of her son. Uh, little did he know yeah. that he would start so much ruckus. That would even trickle down to be his mother that's doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, you hear him talk in that conversation. I mean, like how she's like, oh, she's like the um, one girl. She's like, oh, she believes, you know, uh, the rebels could use the tunnel that's like under the street or whatever to like ambush the stormtroopers or whatever she says. Like, so like, you know, we're getting like those parts of the rebellion added in or like just like the galactic like underlying resentment of the empire like from certain people um more baked into the show yeah now bix is having her communication shut down completely by uh, luthan and it's really going to that scene too about clea and and clea and luthan and who's really running the show because i really am starting to like clea a lot as a character um, doesn't help nope. that she's really attractive as the actress. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh. <laughs> but uh, um, as far as the character having these motivations, like, who's really in control here? Is it her or is it him? You know, because she's making the moves. And, and before in the other episode, at the end of it, it's like she's all saying about, you know, you gotta, uh, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Like, she seems like she's more control sometimes. Is she really the one that's actually running the rebellion or is it him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I could definitely see that being the case because more and more with him um, specifically, it feels like he, you know, he's one of those characters. He's kind of like Krennic to a degree. He's kind of like Krennic. He wants to be higher up, 
than he actually is, I think. Like, that's the, that's kind of the vibes I get from him. Like, he feels more and more like he's one of those characters, like, working their way up the ladder. Like, he wants to be the rebel guy. You know what I mean? Like, the 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 main rebel rebellious character, I guess. Um, he wants to be, like, that main one, but I don't mm-hmm. think he's there yet. And like you said, I feel like it could be her. Just the way, like, they're, they've been working her character into these episodes, you know, what they're doing with her, like, with the shots, the story. Um, I feel like it could be transitioning maybe toward her, and we're going to find out more maybe in the next, like, episode or two. Yeah, and at least that we, we know in this episode, in this interaction, that she wasn't really going against his back to put out the hit on Cassian. It seems like Luthen does acknowledge that and understands what's going on there. But you, in the meanwhile, you have Vel and you have Cynthia that are on Ferrix, and they're now they separated, right? Now, I don't know what they're why, why are they still on the same planet? Did somebody leave completely? What's going on there? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I didn't. Um... I guess there really there really wasn't an explanation, or if there was, I it must have been might have been really quick as to why, but I don't remember like a direct explanation as to why they were still there because you know, like you said, you'd assume they would be be gone by now. Um, but I feel like I don't know, like I I can't really guess an in universe reason why. I'd say maybe out of universe it probably just fits like whatever story they're trying to like you know, Cassian may have to go back there at some point. Like, I feel like it's going to be something like that, maybe mm-hmm. more like, it's probably more like plot device for the story than anything I would say. Cause like, I can't really think of an in-universe reason as to why they would stay there unless, um, I mean, then again, I guess you, when you hear, uh, Marina and, and, uh, Cyril Karn talk and like, there's talk of like, like total lockdown on some of these systems or whatever. So like, maybe, maybe like it's getting locked down. So maybe that's why they couldn't leave. Like that could be an actual pretty good reason why I would say. What if, um, and, and he, he still has to get out of prison, but what if Vel or Cynthia becomes pretty ruthless and gets to Marva, finds out that she's the mother of Cassian and holds her hostage for freaking Cassian to come down, right? Wouldn't that be something if they... Yeah. Oh, and how would Cassian react? He would be out for cold blood if they tried to do that on her, you know? He oh, yeah, would it... go kind of crazy. Oh, for sure. Like, I think... I think, um... Yeah, I feel like it's got it's got to be heading in that direction. Because, again, like, we're talking payoffs with these characters. Payoffs with Mon Mothman, her daughter. Payoffs with Cyril, Karn, and Cassian. Payoffs with... Uh, Marina, payoffs with all these characters, Luthen, whatever. There's got to be payoffs with Cassian's mom. Or, like, well, stepmom or whatever. Like, there's got to be payoffs with her. Like, it's got to be, like you said, it's got to be something like she's getting held hostage or um, anything. Are we going to get, like, an Anakin attack of the clones finding his mom just about dead type thing? Like, maybe something like that. Um... I do think, though, we're going to get to a point, though, in this series. I think Cassian's going to kill one of our main rebel characters. I do think that. Like, I, I've I've been in that boat since maybe a couple episodes ago. I, I was thinking about that during, like, the sixth episode, even. Because um, I feel like he's going to have to get to, like, that hard decision point. Because with Luthen endorsing, like, 
them wanting to take Cassian out, I think we're going to get to a point Cassian's going to have to, like, maybe try to, you know, however he gets out of prison. But when he gets to that point, whenever he interacts with, like, Luthen or one of these people, like, if I had to bet, I feel like he might kill Luthen. Like, I think, I think that's what might happen just because, like, we, we haven't really had Cassian get to a point where he's had to make a hard decision, hard, hard decision just yet. Like, yeah. no, you know, no matter, like, say what you want, like, he didn't really know Luthen or whatever, but he, in the back of his head, he knows Luthen and, like, the Rebels are probably trying to do something good for the galaxy. So, like, you know he's not going to want a cold-hearted kill him. But I think we're going to get to that point. It's going to be mm. something like um, like Han with Woody Harrelson in Solo. Yeah, it's going to be something at, like that. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Oh, showdown. Yep. Man, and, and, and we'll finish off by talking about the interaction between Saw and Luthen. I enjoyed seeing Benthic Two Tubes as we've seen him in the trailer. We see the Cavern Angels. And it was cool getting a reference to them in this conversation where... That's exactly what Luthen wants, is he wants the Cavern Angels squadron of Saul's partisans to help in this battle against this uh, th this Imperial installation. They're going to do a hit and run, I guess, on it. And he's not buying it. You know, Luthen tries and tries, and he's he's not buying But I like the interaction when he meets. He's like, was that you? No, I thought that was you. Was that you? It's just like they're going back and forth. Like, nobody's really trying to give up too much information. But this is the deals that the Rebels have to make. And I thought it was so cool, the layers that these guys have, where it's like, that feels very real world, where it's like, all right, what do you have for me that's going to make me actually do your task? Like, what's in this for me, right? There's a price for everything. Uh, at this point, this price is not worth Saul. He walks, or he has Luthen walk, because that's his base. But yeah, what was your reaction to this whole thing? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned when we started, I was surprised. I like. I was surprised. I liked it, um, <laughs> just because, like I said, I, I'm not a huge fan of of Saul Guerrero and Rogue One at all. And like, I was like, oh man, here we go to Saul. Let's get let's get ready for some board gullet and some crazy stuff. And luckily, like he he wasn't at that point yet. Um, so I was like, okay, good. Like this isn't too cartoony. And I do feel like even if Saul would have been at that point, I don't know, because like we said, Tony Gilroy, he, like, he, he covered like the last 20 minutes of Rogue One, so I don't know if he even directed um, Forrest Whitaker in Rogue One. So like, I think he would have maybe not made, he would have maybe toned Saul Guerrero down a little bit. But, um, but yeah, I really liked the interaction between him and Luthen. I actually liked Saul like like that scene this sequence made me like Saul Guerrero in live action because before this I was like, man, I don't need to see any more of that. Like, I'm good. But this actually made me like him. So I'm like, okay, let, well, I'm fine with seeing more of him now um, as long as Tony Gilroy is directing him. And then, you know, just the whole conversation, like you said, like the, like, almost playful back and forth, I guess you would say, between the two. Um, like, kind of, like, not giving up too much info to each other. And... Like, to me, I think it, like, leads, or it's foreshadowing to, like, Saul's going to get involved somehow. Like, you know, we're going to get some type of battle, some type of something, maybe a sabotage, uh, something or another. Like, 
there's going to be something where Saul and his group get involved. Uh, because I, I highly doubt we just have this one scene with them. I, I feel like I feel like we're going to get some type of thing. I mean, I think you and me and Milton mentioned it maybe weeks ago. It was maybe like when we were reviewing the first two or three episodes, or maybe the fourth one. But like, we got to get to a point where we have like Mon Mothma in the fight, basically, and Luthen and and Cassie and all these people in the fight, and now Sagar in the fight, like. We got to get to some point where all these characters are like kind of crossing over with crossing paths with each other. So like we haven't got to that battle yet or mission or sabotage or stealing or whatever it may be. We haven't got to that yet, but I think it's heading in that direction of where we're going to get to that big hurrah, basically. Chris, you're muted. You're muted. We're gonna see there. We're gonna see that space battle in, in, you know, because we see it in trailers where there's just different. Um, it's not. It's just the Luthan ship is flying around. I think they could yep. have easily CGI'd out Tie Fighters in that, or, or X Wings, Cavern Angels X Wings. I think that's gonna be our big battle for this season, which will be cool because we haven't really gotten a huge space battle in Star Wars, so that'll be interesting. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I feel like, and uh, I think it could end up being something along those, like, multi-dimensional lines of, like, you got the space battle, you got the ground thing with Cassian, like, whatever he's doing. Like, you know, I think we're going to get, like, a three-layer fight type deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Heck, yeah. So, wrapping things up, just generally speaking, uh, what were your overall thoughts and score out of 10 on the episode? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned when we started talking about it, I went into it with a negative outlook at first because of uh, people influencing me on it. Um, but then when I watched it, I I really didn't mind it. I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it added some interesting points. Like like we mentioned, we we finally got to see kind of like how an imperial. I mean, sure, that's not specifically an imperial jail. Like it's an imperial jail job. But, like, we got to see how, like, the penalty system works. I mean, even little tidbits in there, like, I mean, you hear them, uh, might have been Andy Serkis, might have been one of the other workers, but they mentioned everybody's sentences got doubled. And Cassian, you know, mm -hmm. he went in for six years. So, like, technically, he's in there now for 12 years. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you have that. And then you really have... Uh, so I thought that was cool, like little tidbits like that, like the interactions there at the workplace. And then, of course, all the Mon Mothma stuff is really good. And then you also have, uh, like like I mentioned, Saul Guerrero. I actually like Saul Guerrero now. <laughs> um, I thought his, his character, like acting from Forrest Whitaker was really good. And then, you know, just a lot of the stuff about the episode. Marina, the, the Imperial Officer girl, she's... She's been one of my favorite like side characters, as I mentioned. I've really enjoyed her her character a lot. And uh, yeah, overall, I'm actually excited for next week's episode. Uh, like, I'm I'm definitely excited to see where this leads to because I think a lot of pieces are getting put into place for the puzzle. And now, you know, for me, I would have to give this episode an eight out of ten. Actually, 
I will echo that 8 out of 10 with your 8 out of 10. And uh, for all the reasons we were talking about, uh, you know, we, not, not much has changed from my initial score with this discussion. I was pretty dead set on that for the most part. You know, my only hang-ups were maybe uh, spending too much time at this prison or too many shots nope. that were very similar, you know, dwelling too long on those. Uh, the Mon Mothma conversation kind of seemed a little bit redundant, uh, a little bit, but you helped better explain that for me. So now, now I have a clear view, but at the time it was just like, oh, more of this, you know. I guess part of me is just wanting to see, you know, Sly more already because... Every time we see a party, it's like, oh, there's a there's a chance where one of those familiar aliens could be showing up in the shop, but so far nothing. Slymore watch continues. Those Mesameda watch yep. Grand Vizier. <laughs> but yeah, we have all those cool things coming together. But I like the things coming together, like one of the storylines, Cyril, Karn, and Dedra Mira. Uh, we've been seeing that coming, kind of. I we're dead set on this guy joining the Empire now for for a couple episodes. For me, he could have gone to Rebels, he could have gone to Imperials, but, you know, having that personal vendetta against Cassian makes sense that he is going to be going against him, even if he takes matters into his own hands and says, okay, if the, if the Empire won't help me, I'll just take him down myself, and he'll be like the, the rogue agent kind of thing, which is always fun in these spy thriller movies. But, yeah, getting to that and just seeing my buddy Saul. You know, I put out that video earlier this week, you could check it out, about the entire Saul timeline from video games to young reader novels, to young adult novels, to adult novels. He has been in, like, every single medium of Star Wars. It's kind of insane. I don't know if any other character has yeah. done that so far. Like, every single type of book, all the... Com like, he was in a comic, everything. <laughs> TV series, yeah. animated, movie. He, I think he is literally the only person that's done that. And the crazy thing is Saul Guerrero, at least in the speaking parts... Um, other than Clone Wars Season 5 has done the voice in basically all the roles, too. He's really cool with, and down to do that. He's like Anthony Daniels, where they're very protective of their characters, or at least they like to be that character so much that they want to do that other stuff that a lot of the main actors could ca couldn't care less about doing, right? So overall, yeah, 8 out of 10. Really enjoyed this episode. As we said, next week, Milton will be back. We'll break down... The Dooku episodes, or the Dooku shorts for the Tales of the Jedi shorts. And we'll be talking about Episode 9 of Andor and whatever news might break between now and then. So, where can the people find you and what are you going to be up to this week, Ben? Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at RealBenMaynard. I usually post my workout videos and workouts on Instagram. And then on Twitter, I'm basically just talking football and talking Star Wars or talking about um superhero stuff so that's that's pretty much what i'm what i'm up to on social media and then for this weekend it's going to be a pretty chill weekend just hanging out hanging out by myself watching football um working out talking with people about star wars as always consuming star wars content um it's always it's always a fun part of the week i think i think one of the best parts about uh star wars content and content in general which makes me wish Tales of the Jedi was a six-week event versus um, one drop, is I really enjoy the week-to-week -week discussions versus the mass drops of content. Like, I've always, as long as it's been a thing, I've always been anti-drop the entire season of something. I've always been mm -hmm. against that. Because to me, it's way more fun as a fan, like, talking about these things week-to-week-to-week. Because, week week, you know, it, like, builds and builds and builds, and it's just like, 
it's like a relationship you build up with other random fans on the internet. It's it's always a good time. Um, it's like that's what that's a nice part of like Andor being as many weeks as it is, just because it's spanning over a few months. Um, so yeah, it's it's nice being able to talk to fans about this show. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to be up to is just watching watching these sports and movies and things like that because it's getting chillier here. You know, now that mm-hmm. we're at the end of October. And then on Halloween Day, I'm going to watch the original Halloween movie just because that's a classic. And that's like my tradition every year is watch that mm. every year just because it's like, you know, you can't go wrong with Michael Myers. The original movie was so good. And uh, yeah, that's what I'll be up to. Yeah. I mean, I'll be up to more or less the same uh, working out. I jumped on the Old Republic this uh, right before jumping on the call to play through the latest season three that we went up. Unlocked one of the new Protocol Droid Companions. Other than that, I'm going to be probably playing some Destiny 2, trying to catch up on that season, trying to get my titles and feeling accomplished there and maybe jumping on World of Warcraft if I have the time. But other than that, I'll be hanging out with some family, of course, on Halloween. Um, Got to figure out if I'm going to do a... Uh, it's not <laughs> if. I'm going to do a costume. I don't know if I'm going to do a Star Wars costume or some other random thing I'll put together on my own just with everything I have around here. But... Other than that, you can follow me on Twitter at Star Raptor. Follow Ben on um, Real Ben Maynard. Follow Milton, who will be with us next week at Real. Uh, at his, his, his is okay. So Milton's, <laughs> Milton's Twitter is Milton Weber Seven, and then his Instagram. He I feel like he's more active on Instagram. You can follow him there, where he posts all of his workouts as well. At Milton set the number seven, and then Weber Milton Seven Weber. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So as far as the content this week. Yeah, you're going to see the normal stuff. I got a bunch of comic book reviews coming out this upcoming Wednesday. And uh, then you guys can catch us as always next Friday at 9 o'clock Eastern. Make sure you tell your friends about this show. If you have any Star Wars friends in your life that are looking for some Star Wars commentary, then you can refer them here and we'll be very thankful for you by doing that. Well, for Ben, for Milton, for I, Chris, a.k.a. Star Raptor, that's going to do it for Outer Rim Transmission number 80. Have a good one, guys. May the force be with you and transmission.